right. It's good to be here, amen? amen. Uh, at least that was a little bit better. I'm sitting back there in the seats and I'm listening. I'm like, man, these white folks aren't amen enough for me. <laughs> but, but that was a little bit better. So I, 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 like, I like that. I like that. I, you know, every time I come, this is, uh, I've been in several times. This is the second missions conference that I've been in. And I always feel inferior every time I come in because these guys are so sharp. I told you that before. I'm a ghetto missionary. And, and I, don't have, uh, I don't have all of this technology stuff that they got. And they singing and, and all of that stuff, man. And, and I'm like, man, I can't do any of that stuff. I barely got prayer cards, amen. <laughs> You laughing, brother Arce? Is that how you say it? I mean, say it. it is. But yeah, but it's true, man. You look a little different, brother. Amen. You ain't got your hat on today, huh? <laughs> but uh, I've been having a good time going, going to sight and sounds, and that's been a real blessing. And I, I enjoy being here. You, what you guys don't know, and I told the preacher this uh, on uh, Tuesday. What you guys don't know is, as an older man who gotten saved at the age of 30, uh, who had done so many wicked things in my life, uh, I remember how God started to call me into the ministry, uh, not into me, to salvation uh, months and months back, and I could walk you through the whole thing. And those things I hold dear uh, uh, in, my, in my soul, and but I also hold something else there. Men like uh, Penichetti and my pastor, uh, uh, who, uh, Vic Rivera and, and um, Dennis Higgins and Hickenell and all of those men, Eddie Hall and a lot of those men who have been really helped shape and actually mold me into uh, the preacher and person that I am today. But your pastor played a very important part in that as well. And I had never met him, and I never wanted to be a missionary, all right? But uh, some circumstances happened, and I decided, and Lord said, you know, you need to go full-time in the ministry, and that's another story. A fellow was going to kill himself, and I couldn't get to him in time to help him. And uh, one of the other guys happened to, to do that. And uh, but I, so Lord said, you need to go full-time in the ministry. So I started to do the missionary thing. Uh, brother calling on the phone and, and trying to get meetings and stuff like that. And I called Brother Wendell. And uh, he asked me who I was, and he, of course he checked me out, and he said, Brother, I got something going on in several months now, but we're going to take you on for $100 a month. And I almost dropped the phone. That never happens. Amen. I don't know about some of you other guys. That never happens. You, you know, right over the phone. And I'm like, right over the phone, he's got how's it? Thank you, Lord, you know. And that was it. That's that's been in the that helped me to continue to say, this is exactly where the Lord will have for me to be missionary and starting this church. And then uh, meeting Brother Sam and Brother Joyner and my dear friend over here in the back, uh, and so many of the other guys, my brother, him and his wife ate dinner together, and 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 so it's this church, you guys have no idea the blessing that you've been in our lives and so we appreciate you uh, so much just going to give you a quick update of what we're doing uh, you guys know in November of 2012 we bought a building outright um, right there in the heart of the city of Camden and uh, it took us three and a half almost four years before we got our first permit and and getting that permit 
uh, before they were allowed us to actually have the permit, we had to take $100,000 and put it in an escrow fund for the city because what they wanted us to do is to take that money and put it there. If we did not do, uh, put a sidewalk and curbing in, if we did not put a fence around the property, if we not, did not do the uh, parking lot and things of that nature, then uh, we would not get those permits again. And uh, I had my dear friend, uh, brother uh, Greg Flegel, and some of the, some of the other folks, uh, originally from Chad's uh, Ford, they came down and they put that sidewalk in and we put the fencing up. And, and let me just tell you quickly before I go, and I know he wouldn't want me to say this, but we were putting some doors in, uh, all right, because they'd been broken in three, four times. And so we needed to put some, so put some metal doors in with the safety bars, I guess that's what you call it, and, and putting in the door one of the walls started to wobble. <laughs> and so we said, all right, if we put this door in, the whole wall's going to fall down. Now, what in the world are we going to do? And so we decided that one day, you remember that, Brother Greg? We decided one day that we were going to put the wall in. So I'm like, all right, this is because we figured we're not going to get it all down, down and up in one day. And so we're in Camden. And so somebody's going to have to stay there. So I'd say, I told my wife, I'll stay there all night and I'll sleep in my car. And she told me, no, I'm going to go down there. You can't go down there and stay with me. The cops would be thinking we're doing something in there. You, know? <laughs> you can't do that. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but, what I, but, what I, but what I didn't know, what I didn't know is that Brother F uh, Greg Flegel, he as well had prepared to come down and he was going to, a white guy, can you believe that? He was going to come and stay all night out there just to make sure nobody's going to the building. But by the grace of God, uh, I think in less than eight hours or so, we had that thing down and up. And, and so none of us had to. And so them guys have been really instrumental in, in, in helping uh, us. And matter of fact, on Saturday, we're going to come and they're going to come and going to help us put our pews in our sanctuary. We decided to do a little section at, at a time. Uh, some things went on that we weren't able to do. We lost some of the permits before. And so we're going to do a little section at a time. And so our sanctuary will be complete on Saturday, other than my wife doing a little decorations and stuff. And then we're going to put the bathrooms in. And so we need to put two more drains in. Uh, the plumber supposed to met me yesterday. Didn't happen. We're going to meet tomorrow at 10 o'clock, and he's going to tell me the layout and what all he needs to do uh, for that. And then we're going to put the bathrooms in, uh, and then we'll start doing the classrooms and that sort of thing and uh, talking with Brother Greg and them. The other part of the building, uh, the fellowship hall and all of those things ought to go along pretty well. And so uh, just pray for us. Uh, that we'll be able to do that. The thing is, we're using, my wife and I, we're using a lot of our support money to, to just take and, uh, you know, I just said, you know what, Lord, I, no matter what it takes, we just have to get this up. Because every year that we don't be in that building, it costs us $6,000. We have to pay taxes until we become, uh, uh, until we occupy that building. And so far, we've already wasted uh, in there about um, $36,000. And so we need to get into that building as soon as we can. So pray that things will go well. We will get a good price tomorrow. We can get them bathrooms uh, built and then start doing uh, the other work there. And so I didn't induce my wife. I got about eight of them around here. Where are they, you know? <laughs>
I got one all the way in the back there, you know. I told that lady in the back, I said, whoa, they let black people in here, huh? She said, yeah. I said, man, finally. No, I'm just kidding. Oh, she just laughed and had herself a great time. She's still laughing, you know. But, uh, but, but that's my wife there, Brenda. You guys wave your hand or whatever, you know. She can't sing or nothing like that either, so don't worry about it, you know. So, but, uh, you know, the Bible says the merry heart doeth good like a medicine, amen? All right? And we ought to laugh. We ought to have a good time. I said, when I got saved, I said, if I come to church, I'm going to enjoy myself. Amen? So if y'all going to enjoy yourself along with me, I'm going to no matter what. Amen? And so, uh, but I have a, I, I love missions conference. It was a missions conference that guy in 1991, a fellow by the name of John Bales was preaching from BIMI. And he was preaching on how the fields were white on the harvest and how to lead us in. We're talking about that at the theme there. And, and uh, that's when God called me. And, and so uh, I, I, most preachers, most churches don't do missions conferences. And, you know, most of them do miss, uh, mission emphasis month and stuff like that. But this is great, amen? Uh, that they, they have these conferences and stuff. It's a time of, who, you ain't getting no money for keep saying all the main man. So, you know. <laughs> you know. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, this is good. I, I really, in, I really enjoy this. Um, but I don't want to take a lot of time. I know. Hey, listen. I'll be here. I could be here on next. I'm. In, I, I enjoy this kind of stuff. But open your Bibles with me, if you would, to Hebrews chapter five. I'm going to read the first nine verses of Hebrews chapter five. And if you got on mind, I asked the preacher, make sure I always do things correctly. Uh, he said it was okay. I'm going to ask my dear friend, uh, Brother Flegel, if he'll come and pray for me. I'm going to read Hebrews chapter 5, and I'm read the nine verses. And after that, Brother Greg Flegel, if you could make your way up and, and pray. He would have done it there. Preacher said that's, he needs to come up, so we'll do that. Hebrews chapter 5. Starting with verse 1, the Bible says, For every high priest taken from among men is ordained for men in things pertaining to God, that he may offer both gifts and sacrifices for sins. Who, who, can, who can have compassion on the ignorant and on them that are out of the way? For he himself also is compassed with infirmities, and by reason thereof he ought as for the people so also uh, for himself to offer for sins and no man taketh this honor unto himself but he that is called of God as was Aaron so also Christ glorified not himself to be made an high priest but he that said unto them thou art my son today have I begotten thee as he saith also in another place thou art my priest forever after the order of Melchizedek who in the days of his flesh, when he had offered up prayers and supplication with strong crying and tears unto him that was all able to save him from death and was heard in that he feared. Though he were a son, yet learned he obedience by things which he suffered. And being made perfect, he became the author of eternal salvation unto all them that obey him. Brother, you come pray for me. the white guy <laughs> you know I, I just if I may I just like to say I love this guy I really do I, I love this man 
And I don't know how many times we've been down to the church, but I'm telling you, every single time that we're down at that church and we're doing work, I'm in there banging things and doing all kinds of stuff. There is not a single person that walks by on the sidewalk that does not get a track and hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's amazing. This man has compassion that I wish I had. I, I have never seen such compassion. You know, missionaries are my heroes. I'm, I want to tell you, they're my heroes. And uh, I have another missionary who was in Africa. He's my hero, too. And about, probably about three or four months ago, I got these two to meet. And it was, it was amazing to stand there and watch my two heroes meet. It was just, it was great. So um, I'm thankful you guys support him. I'm thankful that you've hosted this. And I'm thankful you asked me to pray. Amen. Thank you. Okay, let's pray. Lord, I'm so thankful for all that you do for us. Lord, you are so good to us, and we are so thankful for it, Lord. I'm so thankful for the Lord Jesus Christ who shed his blood at Calvary, Lord, such that we could be redeemed, such that we could be saved, Lord. I'm so thankful for that. And Lord, I'm so thankful for Tony and Brenda and the work, the endless work that they do, Lord, because they love you. And I'm so thankful that they can be your servants, Lord. And Lord, I just pray that you would give him the words to say this evening. Lord, I pray if there be someone here who does not know Jesus Christ as Lord, Savior, and King, Lord, I pray that this could be the night that they could be saved. But Lord, for the rest of us, I pray that you would open our minds and open our hearts, Lord, such that we could hear the word of God and we could act upon it, Lord. We're so thankful. In Jesus' most wonderful and precious name we pray, amen. Amen, amen. Thank you, brother. I appreciate it. Thank you. I titled this message, Do You Tear Up? Do You Tear Up? When I, when I was a boy... First of all, let me, let me go back and say this to you. I, I really feel caged in here. I got this thing on here and not a lot of room down here. But I will tell you guys something. I already told this dear brother here. I'm going to get down and I'm going to probably move some. And I'm going to have some spit probably flying too, amen. But it's been raining and misty outside. So just think it's that, all right. I will tell you it is anointed though, that spit, amen. So you'll be all right, amen. But, uh, but I'll tell you this. I, 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 I walk around, I, I walk like five miles. I'm a diabetic. And so I walk about five miles a day and one day I'm out there walking about my wife uh, works a little part-time job on a school bus and and uh, she gets up and she leaves and so I get up around six and I read my Bible about quarter after seven or something like that I go out and and I, I walk about four or five miles and and as I'm walking out uh, I notice my eyes started to tear. One of them just started to tear and I'm saying to myself man why is this eye keep tearing up? just the one. I said, something must be wrong with my eyes because it shouldn't be tearing up. It shouldn't be tearing up at all. And so, uh, as I'm walking and thinking about this eye tearing up, God started to give me a message. And I remember, uh, uh, as I'm, 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 he's giving me this message as I'm, I'm walking about tearing, and I thought about, well, wait a second. Men, not, men ain't supposed to cry. Because when I was a young boy, he's shaking his head, yeah. When I was a boy, my dad told me, and I used to be a little wimpy of a boy, all right? I went through some different stages in my life, all right? And when I was about five or four or five years old, if my dad hollered at me, I would cry. And so, and he, and, and you know, he goes, 
and I would cry. And he was like, boy, don't you cry. Men don't cry. And so as I started to get older, I stopped crying. Now, of course, some of you guys know my history, Greg and those guys. I became a thug, all right? I became one of the gangsters in Philadelphia, all right? And so I never cried. My uncle used to say, boy, that boy never cries. He ne I don't care what I did, bust my head, getting stabbed, whatever it was, I never cried because men weren't supposed to cry, all right? And, uh, and then I started to, wait, wait a second. My Savior cried, amen? Now, who's more man then my Savior, amen? That's right, brother. So if my Savior can cry, I can cry, amen? And so I started to prepare this message. And, and as I started to prepare this message, and God started to reveal, okay, this, and this is just a few months back or so, I started to prepare this message. And, and uh, uh, now part of the thing that we're doing with this building in, in Camden is we can't always, I was telling the preacher this, we can't always get guys to come out and do work. And so we have to uh, uh, get the world to do some of it. And so we had guys, uh, the dude I put, the siding up a force, all right? And, uh, and of course, you know how they want, they want a third. They want a, a little bit now. They want a little bit when they halfway finish, and they want the balance when they finish. Well, in the between the, when he was almost finished, he got asked me, he said, preacher, I, I, I need you to give me $1,000. And so I'm like, all right, so on a Friday, and I know he's not, he wasn't saved, and I know the old thing, it's a Friday night, amen. Y'all know that story, Friday night, just got paid, you know. You know, you're kind of black, man, you know, I like you, all right? And so, and so, uh, uh, that's what that is, that's how kind of what, what it was, and I know he wants to go out, and I know he wants to party, and I know he wants to have himself a good time, all right? And he needs, and so I call, we have accountant called BAC, it's a Christian organization, they do our books and stuff, and so I called them. I need to get a, a check for this guy for $1,000. And they said, okay. And so I give him the check. And me and my wife goes out every year for over 25 years on Friday night to have dinner, just me and her. And so we're going out to eat, and I get a call from him. And he tells me, he says, uh, preach, I can't cash this check. And I'm like, why? He said, I don't know. They said, I can't cash this check. They said, but you have to come. I said, well, put them on the phone. I'm going to go out to eat with my wife. And, 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 and they, she said, they won't come to the phone. They said, you have to come down here. I'm like, oh, man. But the good thing was it wasn't really out of our way because we were going maybe a mile or so further down the road. Where, so I go there, and I see the lady. And uh, I said, hey, are we having a problem? She said, yeah, come on to my office. So we go into her office, and this guy was sitting there on the stuff. He was a white guy too, preacher, amen. And he was fuming. I said that because he was red, amen, because it's Friday, and he wanted, he wanted his money so he can go party, you know. And so, uh, uh, and so I, we go, in, go into the lady's office, and, and she said, we can't cash this check. I said, why not? She said, because this check that you have right here, she said, we don't know the signer on this check. And I'm like, well, they've been signing out checks for over 15 years. She said, it doesn't matter who's the signer on, who's the, who opened the account. And I said, I opened up the account for this particular church, uh, Inner City Baptist Church, which we started in 2008. She said, I showed her ID, yeah, you were on it. She said, but... He can't cast, you can't cast that check because we don't know who signed that check. So I'm like, now I'm looking at this guy and he's fuming over there and he's getting upset. And so she, I, she, I said, well, what can I do? I brought some emergency text checks with me. So I said, how about if I just write a check? She said, you can do it. So I, I wrote a check and I give it to her because it got my name signed. My name is on it. I opened it. And she said, 
well, we never seen this check before because I never used them before. She said, you can't use this one either. And then I turned around and looked at him, and he was crying, a grown white man crying. And I, hey, hey yo, brother, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a crazy kind of a preacher, all right, brother? And then listen, and I look back at him, and I, and I don't know him that well, preacher, and I look back at him, and I tell her, he crying like a woman, you know? <laughs> and she said, wait a second. Women ain't the only one. Men cry too, you know? And she started, and then I said, you're absolutely right. And then I started telling them too about the message that I was good, that, that God had just gave me to develop, you know? And so, and so it, it, it went really well. By the way, um, I had to do a deep, uh, withdrawal slip and was able to give him his money so he, so he, can, he, so he, could, so he could cash it. And so what he did. But the question that I have for you again is, do you tear up? Do you tear up? I want you to turn with me and, uh, uh, to Matthew chapter 9. And we're going to look at the, the theme here, uh, 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 verse 35 through 37. Now that we just read in Hebrews, our Savior, he cried and had tears, all right? And we know he, Jesus wept, and we've seen all of those uh, sorts of things. But I, I started to look around and started to, as I was developing this message, and, and I was saying to myself, man, well, what's the difference? Why is this tear? Now, do you know crying is good for you? You know, it detoxifies your body. It lubricates, brother, your eyes. It also relieves stress. And I said, wow, I couldn't believe that. And I asked my eye doctor, he said, yes, that's true. So actually crying, amen, is good for us, amen? And so I'm looking and saying, wow, Lord, I understand this. It's good and I need to be crying and, and, and listen. But as we're talking about Crying, nobody was a more man than our Savior. He cried. Matthew chapter 9, and look at verse 35 with me, if you would. Matthew 9, verse 35. We've been talking about these passages of Scripture. It says, Jesus went about all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and preaching the gospel of the kingdom and healing every sickness and every disease among the people. But when he saw the multitude, he was moved with compassion on them because they fainted and were scattered abroad as sheep having no shepherd. Then said he unto the disciple, the, truth, the, the harvest truly is plenteous, but the labors are few. Point number one, our Savior had tears of compassion. He had tears of compassion. You know, when he looked around and saw the multitude, his heart was broken. As he seen a, a, a folks who was lost and undone without God or their son, and it broke their hearts, amen. I wonder when we walk around and go to places that we go to, do we have on our spiritual eyes, amen, and we see people the way that they are, spiritually undone, amen. Uh, 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 and do we understand that folks need Christ in their life, and we have the hope of glory within us, we get the opportunity to share the gospel with some of these people, and we don't do it. Do you have tears of compassion, amen? Do you have tears of compassion? Folks, let me tell you something. We need to put on our spiritual eyes and see people for what they are, amen? They're lost and undone. Whether it's Ecuador, whether it's Mexico, whether it's uh, Venezuela, wherever it might be, whether it's the city of Camden, 
Folks are in need of a savior. They're in need of a savior. He looked at them and he saw them. When I was done, I remember when I didn't know exactly where God wanted me to go when he called me uh, uh, into the ministry. One thing I didn't know is I needed to get the gospel out because I lived on the worst block in the city of Philadelphia. And I'll tell you how bad that block was. That block was so bad that when we first moved on the block, my son was one years old. My son's Xavier. He was one years old, and, uh, or maybe not even one. And we were looking out the window that morning. And the we, we, reason why we was looking out the window is because we heard two guys arguing. And it was a young Hispanic fella and an older Hispanic fella arguing over the older Hispanic fella's daughter that the younger fella was going with. And the older fella went in the house, came back out, and shot him and killed him right on the steps. That's the first thing we saw when we moved into that neighborhood. That neighborhood was so, now my church is a soul-winning, uh, sin-hating church, but they never came on our block, preacher. And my dear friend, Pastor Eddie Hall, uh, uh, he used to, when we, there was, well, I used to, he used to take me, I wasn't driving, he used to take me to school. He would go down, we didn't have cell phones, and then he would call on the thing and say, I'm down the corner, come on. <laughs> he wouldn't come on my block. But when he, God tore my knee up and set me down again, that's the whole thing, and I decided I was going to go to church and, and that sort of thing. And the only reason why that church came, came to me, came uh, and, and, and visited me is because I went to that church. And it was December the 11th on a Tuesday night around 8 o'clock when the Philadelphia 76ers was playing the Orlando Magic. By the way, the Sixers won that game, 119-114, amen, that my heart was studying. Listen, I could, I could go on and on. And, man, that's the greatest thing that ever happened in my life, amen. But those fellows came back. So when he called me in the missions conference when John Bales was preaching, and I didn't know, I said, but somebody had to go to the inner cities. Somebody had to tell folks about Jesus. And I didn't know where. But then one day I sat down and I was in my living room and it came on about the city of Camden. And God broke my heart. And tears started tumbling. And I said, Lord, I'll go there if that's where you want me to go. Now, I need to tell you something. During that time, and they don't talk about the statistics now, I know they're still bad. They won't put it there because they're trying to get more stores and stuff into the community. They just opened up uh, uh, um, a Burger King. When was it? About last week. Uh, and so now they got a McDonald's there. They got a Burger King there. And, 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 and no Holly, no other stores uh, there. The Six and Chain facility there. And, and so they're trying to bring some things in. So they're trying to keep the, the uh, crime rate and stuff out of the papers. But for 30 of the last 35 years, Camden has been the most dangerous, most violent city in America and the, and the poorest. And I said, I'll go to, during that time, they had the National Guards had to patrol that city during that time. And I said, Lord, I'll, I, I, if they want me to go, I'll go. By the way, I'll tell you, some men told me, brother, don't go there. So those folks won't do anything, they won't help you, they won't give, they, they, you're wasting your time. But I saw the conditions of the city of Camden, and folks, it broke my heart. But that's for me. But I wonder, do we have the same tears of compassion when it comes to wherever God might call you to? Whether it's Collegeville or the Valley Forge area or whatever, do you have the same compassion that our Savior have? 
We, hey, listen, I know this church had that same compassion. Listen, all the missionaries you guys got, and, 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 and listen, we know you have that same compassion. But we have to remember, we have to have tears of compassion. We have to keep our spiritual eyes open. Not only do we have tears of, our Savior have tears of compassion, he also had tears of sorrow. Look him, if you would, to John chapter 11. John chapter 11. And we know that that, that that passes the scripture. John chapter 11 and verse 35. Jesus wept. Jesus wept. You know, I looked up, why did Jesus wept? Well, you know what, brother? I understand. And even at the, even at the, when we went to sight and sound, that was mentioned because Lazarus died. But let me tell you something. That's not the reason why Jesus wept. See, you remember when they told him, Lazarus is dead. Let's go. He said, no, no, no. And I'm paraphrasing. He said, no, no, no. We're not going yet. Let's finish doing what we're going to do. But Lazarus is dead. He, he said, no, he just sleepeth. See, you got to understand something. If nobody else knew, he knew that he was going to raise Lazarus up again. Oh, man, this thing. He knew he, knew he was going to raise Lazarus up again. And so there was no need for him to be crying over the death of Lazarus, folks. The reason why he cried is because he saw the hurt that was going on with the other people that was around him. He seen Mary and he seen Martha and he seen all of those people whose hearts was broken because of Lazarus. Look at me at uh, John 11. Look at verse 33. It said, then, it says, then, um, where, where am I at? Okay. I'm, listen, when Jesus therefore saw her weeping and the Jews also weeping, which came with her, he groaned in the spirit and was troubled. See, folks, it, that was the reason why he was crying. He saw the conditions of the people. He saw the crying and the hurt that the people was in. See, he knew what he was going to do, amen? You know, Paul talked about that. Paul, hey, listen, he knew he was going to raise Lazarus up, amen? So other folks can say, wow, this is God, and maybe get saved. He knew what he was going to do. That wasn't why he was weeping, amen? He was weeping because he seen people hurting. I wonder, are we the same way? When we see people hurting, do we hurt with them? Remember, it's good to cry, amen? You know how do you see some people and you get them, you say, I know what you're going through. By the way, let me take you a little uh, commercial, won't cost you anything. Don't you tell nobody I know what you're going through unless you know what they're going through, amen? Because the next, next thing they're going to ask you, oh, you been there? Then you're going to say, well, not quite like that then, you know. But only if you're going through what they're going through. See, listen, you get somebody and you hug me, say, I know what you're going through. And you tell them what you tell them, cry and just let it out. And they just cry and let it out. It relieves stress. Just get it all out. Makes you feel better. It makes you feel better. You know, I was at uh, giving an update and uh, at one of the churches, and the first time I, I, I preached this this message is just several, several months ago, and I uh, wasn't sure, wasn't really finished with it, and God just had me 
I was going to preach something else, and God said, no, no, no. I just want you to preach that. And preachers in here, they understand how, how the Lord works sometime that way. And when I got up and preaching, and as I was preaching about tears of sorrow, I looked over there, and there was a man that was weeping and crying furiously. I had no idea why. And afterwards, the preacher came to me and said, brother, thank you. That's what our church needed to hear. Then he told me, you see that fellow over there that's crying? He just lost his wife two weeks ago. But you know what he never did? He didn't cry. He felt like he had to stay strong for everybody else. And then he just started crying. And he came up to me, preacher, and he hugged me, and he said, thank you, brother. He said, I needed that. He said, I needed to let it out. When you see people, hey, listen, tears of sorrow, amen? It's important, folks, that we understand that it's okay to cry and to cry with others, amen? I just did a friend of mine's funeral um, up in near Williamsport on Saturday, and uh, uh, his family was there, and, and uh, he, brothers are saved, brothers, he's in heaven. This fellow planned out brother uh, 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 Joyner, he prayed out his whole funeral. The songs, the verses, the need, he, played, he did the whole thing himself. And uh, after it was over, his family was crying. You know, I rejoiced because that brother couldn't wait to go home and be with Jesus. But because they were hurting, I started hurting. And other people started crying. Tears of sorrow. Tears of sorrow. Remember, crying is good for you. It detoxifies your body. It lubricates your eyes. It relieves stress. Do you tear up? Not only did our Savior have tears of compassion, not only did our Savior have tears of sorrow, but he also had tears of joy. Look at me, if you would, to Psalms 126. Tears of joy. Psalms 126. Starting with verse 1. It says, when the Lord turned again the captivity of Zion, we were like them that dream. Then was our mouth filled with laughter and our tongues with singing. Then said they among the heathen, the Lord have done great things for them. The Lord have done great things for us. Well, we are glad. Then turn, then turn again our captivity, O Lord, as the streams in the south. They that sow in tears shall reap in joy. He that goeth forth weeping and bearing precious seed shall doubtless come again with rejoicing, bringing his sheaves with him. I don't know about you, but as Brother Greg tell you, man, it's exciting when you lead somebody to the Lord, amen? Man, that's the greatest thing that's going, man. When you, if somebody bow their heart and they ask the Lord, and then you see them come to church and grow. What a blessing that is. Now, and I told that it's, it's, it's exciting, and, 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 and for me, I was the first one in my family. We, we, I know um, she's talking about, and these folks here, they're second uh, 
uh, generation Christians and, and stuff like that. And, and my, we're first generation, not only am I a first generation Christian, also uh, 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 first generational independent fundamental Bible believing, sin hating, soul winning preacher. <laughs> Amen. Man, I wouldn't want to be nothing else. Amen. Now, my family would go to the traditional black churches, and some of them ladies back there, they know what I'm talking about when the ladies had a big old hats on and stuff like that, and they get to swaying back and forth. And other. Y'all know what I'm talking about, amen? And, uh, and don't be scared of these white folks in here. Don't be scared, amen? <laughs> and, and, so, and, 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 and so they get to do it acting like that, man, and, and, and that, that's the kind of churches they came out. By the way, you're talking about you're talking about folks getting excited, and your wife, everybody getting excited about going to uh, uh, wherever God called you to, whatever mission field. I thought about that when I was sitting back there, and I said to myself, my wife didn't feel that way. I thought I was going to kill. She said, oh, oh, oh. <laughs> my mothers and everybody was crying, oh, he's going to kill. What's wrong with him? <laughs> it was just the opposite. You don't lost your mind. You're in the cold, they told me. But, uh, but tears of joy. It's exciting when you see. Now, my family, hey, listen, they get say, but I, remember, I remember one time. Now, I went from being a crybaby, not crying at all, getting saved, and crying all the time. <laughs> all right? Now, they, now, now they call me, they, they call me, my, my, my sister and I'm coming in one day. I'm sitting there, and, and I look up, and the door's open at the church, and here, that's the first church we started, which was, uh, originally it was East Camden. We, we got a building, kept the name Emmanuel, Emmanuel, back, and I opened it, and here come my sister, and here come my nephew, and here come my niece, here come my other sister, and they all coming in, and I'm looking at them, I'm getting ready to preach, and then I just started crying. It just tear and, and people looking at there he go again, crying. <laughs> and and so they 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 they, they call me a crybaby. Now, so now one day one day I'm home, brother Jordan, and I'm reading my Bible, right? And my granddaughter comes up and I'm crying, brother. Amen. And my grand my granddaughter looks at me like this. And she said, Gee, Pop, why are you crying? And now I got I got it. Did I ever tell y'all that story? All right, I got to tell y'all that story. All right. Where, where, where are you? I told somebody that story. Where are you at? Don't take on him, brother. I think that brother sang and left. Amen. Where you going? Where you going? Where you going? <laughs> but I was, I was telling us. Now, I got three grandkids, and they used to call me Pop Pop. All right? Now, this ain't in the message. I just figured I'd tell y'all this, all right? <laughs> and, they, and, they call, and, they, and, they, and they and they call me Pop-Pop. So I'm in a supermarket one day, and uh, I hear these kids running. They saying, Pop-Pop, Pop-Pop. And I'm like, man, that sounds like my grandkids. And I turn around, but it wasn't my grandkids. Now, that had happened to me, brother, so many times, right? So I said to my wife, I said, I'm changing my name. <laughs> she said, what do you mean you're changing your name? I said, yeah, I'm changing my name. I'm not going to be called Pop-Pop no more. She said, well, what are you changing your name to? I said, I'm changing my name to G-Pop. <laughs> and she said, those kids will never call you G-Pop. They've been calling you Pop-Pop for so long. My, that time, my grandson was eight. My uh, granddaughter, her name is Ayana. She's the middle one. She was five. And Zion, he's four. And uh, they'll never. So I said, oh, yes, they will. So I set them all three down in the kitchen. <laughs> and I said, and I said, now, I'm changing my name. And they said, yeah. I said, for now, no one call me G-Pop. And uh, Ayana looks at Jaden, and she says, Jaden, what does G-Pop mean? <laughs> and Jaden says, 
I don't know. Gangsta pop, you know? <laughs> so I said, yeah, that's it. <laughs> See, y'all thought it meant grandpa, huh? No, it means gangsta pop, amen? So that's what it means. And so they friends and everybody called me G-pop, amen? And so she looks at me and she said, G-pop, why you? are a crybaby, G-pop. I know, I know. Tears of, tears of joy, amen? Man, listen, let me tell you something. When people get saved and we see people get saved and we, we see churches planted and lives changed for the glory of God, man, it ought to be tears to you, amen? It ought to bring tears to you. Hey, listen, our Savior cried, amen. We ought to have tears of compassion. We ought to have tears of sorrow for others. And we also ought to have tears of joy. The question that I have for you tonight is, do you tear up? Do you tear up when it comes to souls, church planning, seeing lives change for the glory of God. Do you tear up? Remember, it's good for you. It detoxifies your body. It lubricates your eyes. It relieves stress. Let's pray. Our Father and our God, I thank you and love you for your goodness. Thank you for the sweet spirit that's in this place. And Lord God, I'd ask and pray that you continue to have your will and way in this conference. Thank you for everyone here and the missionaries and their heart for you. And Lord, I thank you for this church. Continue to let it be a light in this dark community. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Preacher. Well, it's good to be back. I remember when we were here uh, about five years ago now, we were here with uh, some veteran missionaries, and I remember thinking, wow, I wonder what it would be like to be a veteran missionary, you know, coming here, and they didn't have any stuff on their table. You know, all the new missionaries have all this neat stuff for people to come and hang out at their table, and I asked one of them, I said, wow, you don't have a lot of stuff on your table, and they said, yeah, we're veteran missionaries, you know, we, we don't need to have a lot of stuff on the table, we just have a little bit, and now we're back as veteran missionaries. I can't believe it's been that long. Uh, God has been doing some amazing things over the past several years there in Brazil, and uh, we're excited to be back with you all and tell you all about it. Uh, first thing that we have to say is thank you. Thank you to every single one of you that sacrifices every single month to give to missions. It is not in vain. Listen, as missionaries, we know the churches that are faithful. We're thankful for all of our churches, but we're even more thankful for the ones that faithfully send that support every single month because it takes the load off of our mind. We don't have to worry about how our bills are going to be paid. We can focus completely on the ministry, and we're thankful for churches like this church here that faithfully give to missions, that faithfully support us every single month while we're on the field. And I want to say thank you on behalf of my family and on behalf of those in Brazil that we are ministering to. I'd like to introduce my family since we're just getting in today. This is my wife, Naomi. This is our son, Lincoln, and our daughter, Lauren. We are the Johnsons in northeastern Brazil, and it's good to be back with you. Uh, just to share a little bit about what God has been doing in our lives. Actually, I was trying to, I was sitting there and I was trying to think of how far back, and I know five years ago we were here, but we are members of the Crossroads Baptist Church. We grew up at Crossroads Baptist Church in Bailey's Crossroads, Virginia. Pastor Lou, Pastor Kenny Baldwin now was Pastor Lou Baldwin when I was growing up there. I graduated from Fairfax Baptist Temple Academy. 
So we go back a long way. I've been here many times when we were growing up, uh, when I was growing up with the school and other things, and I, I would think that some of the older folks that have been here for a long time, you probably wouldn't remember, but I was just thinking, I, I probably was here for the first time over 20 years, 20, 25, 30 years ago, that I was here for the first time, and it's just amazing that i going from being a young kid that's coming to visit to doing what I never thought possible, God using us on the mission field and being back standing in front of you. And I'm thankful to God for all that he's done in our lives. When we went to Brazil, we, we left for the field really with just an idea of what God wanted to do. We really didn't have any clue as to what God was going to do, but we were very hopeful that God would use us to do something. And I can tell you that over the past several years, God has done amazing things in Brazil. He has done exceedingly abundantly above all that we could ask or think. When we first got to Brazil, we immediately went down to Sao Paulo and enrolled in language school. We had to learn Portuguese. I thought we, we were working on Portuguese before we left, and I got down there and I started talking to someone, trying to use the words in Portuguese, and I couldn't, I started with the most basic things, and they're looking at me like I was crazy. And I thought, well, I don't know why I spent all this time doing this. I, did, I hadn't really learned very much. I had learned the things that the computer said was correct, but when you've got a real person standing there in front of you, you realize that's not actually how to say those things. So we went into language school at square one, and honestly, it was a big adjustment. I, I pastored a church. I had been, I was called to preach at 16. I pastored a church, and then God called us to the mission field. I, we went on deputation. I preached all over the country, involved, soul winning, witnessing, discipleship, everything. And we got to Brazil, and I was put on the sidelines. My whole family, we'd been, my wife, a pastor's wife, counseling ladies, uh, uh, doing soul winning, all those different types of things. And we get to a place where there's nothing that we can do. And we're sitting there and it was very tough at the beginning. We're sitting there and saying, well, Lord, are you sure that this is what you've called us to do? We can't communicate. We can't talk. Listen, as a preacher, when you can't talk, I mean, that, that, is, that is just pain when you can't talk. That's, that's what we do. And so we got to Brazil, and, and we, went on, we were sat on the sidelines for several months with the desire to work, but nothing that we could really do. I tried to get involved in the sound ministry. I'd done that at Crossroads growing up, and I thought, well, the least I can do is run the soundboard in the middle of a service. Something went wrong, and the guy looks up, the preacher looks up at me, and he says something to me in Portuguese, apparently something he wanted me to do. still don't know to this day what he wanted me to do, and I'm just sitting there looking at him, giving him a thumbs up, and he's telling me to do something. I'm like, well, Lord, I can't even do this well. But very quickly, the Lord allowed us to start picking up the language, and we were able to progress quickly in the language. And uh, within, within a year, we, we knew that God had called us to the northeast of Brazil, and we had people that were telling us, man, you come and work with us for a while, and we'll, we'll get, no, we're headed to the northeast of Brazil. Well, brother, I don't know that you should go to the northeast. You know, it's dangerous up there. Are you, you sure that's where God called? Yes, God's called us to the northeast. Brother, have you ever been to the northeast of Brazil? People were trying to talk us out of it. We were certain that's where God wanted us to go. And after about, uh, after about 14 months, we just settled on the fact that God wanted us to go, and, and we, uh, after about 18 months, we moved up to the northeast of Brazil. And uh, when we were going, we thought that we were going to be starting a church. That was our plan, was to get up to the northeast of Brazil within a few months, start a new work. See, in, in Brazil, most of you are familiar with missionaries in Brazil. Brazil has a lot of missionaries. In fact, outside of the United States, Brazil has the second largest number of missionaries in the world, which shouldn't be a surprise. Brazil is as big as the United States, has 230 million people. So it, Brazil needs a lot of missionaries. But the northeast of Brazil is the area of the country with the fewest missionaries. 
missionaries. It gets almost none of the attention. Most people are familiar with Sao Paulo, familiar with cities like Rio, familiar with the Amazon, but nobody ever talks about the northeast of Brazil. Northeast of Brazil uh, has three of the top 15 cities in the world, most dangerous cities in the world for crime. It has six of the top 20 in the northeast of Brazil, and we believe that's because it needs the gospel of Jesus Christ that can change things. But we have had a desire to reach the northeast of Brazil with the gospel of Jesus Christ. We went up there with a plan to start a church. When we got up there, we met a missionary uh, up the coast that asked us to come and, and pastor his work while he was on furlough. Now, listen, here's the thing about that. When you go and start a church, you get to start off slow. You know, you start off with a few people. They get to know you. They learn all the mistakes that you make, and they pat you on the back and tell you it's okay, and the rest of them, they can't understand you. They just leave and go to another church, and you never see them again. Well, when you take over work, an established work, you don't get the luxury of an adjustment period. You're expected to stand up there three, four times a week to preach, to counsel. People are calling you with problems, all those different types of things. And we looked at that and we said, Lord, we're, we're not ready for this. I mean, Lord, how in the world can we do this? We, we've been in Brazil two years and, and, and now we, you're, you're calling us to take this step. But we prayed about it and we were certain that was what God wanted us to do. So we took over the work for the missionary that went on furlough, jumped right in. Uh, they have a small seminary, started teaching in the seminary, started preaching in the church, and took over things while he was gone. And we saw God bless in incredible ways. God did things that we couldn't even imagine. We, we planned to have a, a VBS type event for some kids and I brought up some guys to help me with that from, from Sao Paulo that I knew. They came up and we talked about it and we said, well, let's pray for 30 kids. You know, if we have 30 kids, that would be great. And they said, well, let's plan for 50. If we're going to pray for 30, let's plan for 50. Maybe God will really do something. We'll get a lot of kids. We had over 275 kids that came out for the VBS. The majority of them heard the gospel for the first time and had a, we, we actually, we couldn't eat, we don't know how many we had saved because we only had about five adults working because we only expected 30 kids. So we only had about five adults and we had so many kids there. We just had to have them raise their hand for salvation. We had a host of kids raise their hand and uh, for salvation. It was amazing. We did an evangelistic conference. We had a pastor there in the Northeast. Because the Northeast is overlooked, a lot of the pastors there don't get a lot of attention. We, we had a young pastor there that had been working hard but hadn't really seen any of the results that, that, that he wanted to see. And we, we talked to him about doing an evangelistic conference and we, we told him, hey, listen, this is what you need to do. You need to get ready. You need to prepare. Have the people in your church. The church ran about 15 or so people. We said, all right, prepare. Get your people. Inviting people. Well, I, I was bringing another missionary up to help me preach the conference and uh, about two weeks before the conference I called the pastor and I said well did you get somewhere for us to hold the, the service and he said well no I said well you know have you talked with your people about about you know passing out flyers and everything ah, well no no I really haven't well have you have you gotten any chairs for the you know pastor I tell you it, it's just Listen, people in this region of the country, they're not interested in things like this. You know, this, it, it, you know, maybe some of the people from the church will come out, but I just don't really see us having a lot of people coming out to this. You know, may, you know just, just when, when it comes time, we'll, we'll, we'll see if we, can, if we can get a few people out to the church. Well, we got in there a couple of days before the conference. They hadn't done any soul winning, no visitation, no passing out flyers. We got in there two days before the conference, and 
We were praying that God would do something great, that God would open his eyes to his desire to see people saved. That's God's desire everywhere, whether it's here in the United States, in the northeast of Brazil. God wants to see souls saved. We were praying that God would open his eyes to his desire to see people saved. We got out there, we started passing out flyers. The first day we got out, we saw two people saved while we were out on visitation. The next day we saw another two people saved on visitation. That night we were nervous because we just thought, well, Lord, if, if, if we don't know what you're going to do, but you've got to show him something. We had 38 first-time visitors come out during that conference. We had 16 people saved in the conference. The pastor's wife, after the first night, started crying in the service. She said, it has been so long since we've seen someone saved in our services. I can't believe that this many people came out. We had a, an evangelistic conference. The, the, our, the church that we were working, the main church that we were working in, heard about that and said, well, Pastor Winter, when are we going to do an evangelistic conference here? And I said, well, let's, let's get it going. So we, we figured we've got more people. We'll go all out. We printed up 3,000 flyers for the evangelistic conference. Uh, the church had never done a fast before. We, we scheduled a fast for the church and an all-day prayer for the church. And we just told them, hey, God wants to do something special. We, got, we had 3,000 flyers made. Uh, after the first week, all 3,000 were gone. The town is, is only a town of about uh, 7,000 people. And after the first weekend, all 3,000 were gone. We had another 2,000 printed. That Wednesday, all 2,000 were gone. We had another 2,000 printed. Before, uh, by that next Sunday, all of the flyers were gone. And we got 500 more. And those disappeared within, within the last day of the conference. We had over 90 first-time visitors in that conference. We had over 20 people saved. We had close to 80 children that came out to the conference. Uh, above the adults that we had. God is doing amazing things in the northeast of Brazil, and we're just excited to be a part of it. I remember the first time that I was able to lead someone to Christ in Portuguese. I was sitting there, and I was talking with them, and I, I, I you know, when you're learning a new language, you don't know how to say that many things. So I was saying everything that I knew how to say, and then I was certain that he didn't know what I was talking about. So I used it. I would just say it one way and then try and say it in a different way. Well, I'd say it once. I'd say it again. If he still looked confused, I'd say it a third time. And then I would just go through everything that I, that I knew. I would, I would read a Bible verse, and then I would try and explain the Bible verse. And finally, I said I had to have used every word that I had learned in Portuguese. I didn't know anything else to say, but I was nervous because I knew if I asked him if he wanted to accept Christ as his Savior, he was going to say, listen, I've been listening to you. I don't even know what you're talking about. I just knew that was going to happen. So finally, I said I used every word that I knew in Portuguese probably used it twice and I got to the point where I said well man Lord I'm gonna I guess I'm just gonna have to ask him and I, I said well, well sir uh, let me let me just ask you uh, would, you know with all the things that I've explained to you would you would you like to receive Jesus Christ as your savior he said yes I said well <laughs> Wait a minute. He must not have understood what I was saying. I mean, he's, something's wrong here. So I asked him again. I said, well, let me, maybe he didn't understand what I was saying. Would you, would you like to receive Jesus Christ as your Savior? He's like, yes. And I was like, well, what do I do now? I don't know that part. I don't know those words. It's like, my, my goodness. So it's like, well, you can bow your head. And I had a track right there. And, and I said, well, uh, here's the prayer right here. So I just read through it with him. And I said, you know, you can pray and ask Jesus Christ. And he bowed his head and received Jesus Christ as his Savior. And you know what I realized? 
I realize that it's not about the words that we say. It's not about how proficient we feel that we are. It's about God's desire to save souls and God's ability to use anyone who's willing to be used to do a work for him. Just a couple of months ago, uh, just a couple of weeks ago, we were in a missions conference down in Raleigh and uh, a, a church, larger church has had a school like this, this church does. And one of the kids said, hey, you know, there's a Brazilian guy here. He's an exchange student. And uh, they said, you need to talk to him. He's only been here for three months. So I got the chance to talk to him. It's like, man, this is really neat to be able to use, you know, use my Portuguese while we're back in the U.S. Well, after the, the last day of the missions conference, we were in chapel, and I'd, the Lord had been working on me. just said, talk to him, you know, talk to him, talk to him. I said, man, Lord, I, man, I'd still, okay, Lord, I'll talk to him. So I went over afterwards, and I said, hey, listen. I know that sometimes there can be a language barrier, you know, with, with understanding everything. I said, you know, how would... He said, well, a little bit. I'm getting part of it. I kind of understand it. I said, well, let me sit down and talk with you. I said, I've got my, my Bible here in Portuguese. He said, you have it in Portuguese? Oh, man. I said, well, let me sit down and just explain some of the things that, that uh, we've been talking about this week. And I sat down with him, and we sat there for about an hour and a half. He missed all of his classes. I don't know if he was really interested in what I was saying or if he just wanted to miss his classes. But we sat there for about an hour and a half, and he bowed his head at the end and accepted Jesus Christ as his Savior. And I thought, wow, Lord, we're back in the United States, and you're allowing me to lead a Brazilian to Christ in Portuguese here in the United States. God is good. And if we're willing to be used by him, he will take the little that we do have. And he will do great things with it. I just want to say thank you to you because each of you have a part in that. You have a, you have a, a share in what God is doing there in Brazil. And we want to thank you. It's good to be back here with you. It's good to see you all. It's good to be staying with the Costins. We appreciate them, them and, and them opening their home to us. It's good to see the Zachics again that we haven't seen in several years. Uh, we're just thankful for this church. We love you all and we're so thankful for what God is doing here and the way that God is using you here in, in Pennsylvania and there in Brazil. So thank you to each one of you. Let's open up our Bibles very quickly this evening. I, I won't preach very long this, this evening. Let's open up our Bibles to Acts chapter number 17. Acts chapter number 17. I'm just going to give you something simple tonight that I, I hope is a, is a blessing to you. Uh, that'll be a challenge to you. You know, we're, we're missionaries in Brazil, and one of the things you can't go to Brazil without having is a little bit of coffee. And I know that everybody here is probably, probably have a lot of coffee drinkers here. Let me ask you a question. If I were to, if this were to be my first cup of coffee that I ever had, and I were to ask you what I should do with it, how I should drink it, what would, give me some suggestions. What, what would you say? How, how should I drink it? Okay, somebody's going to say that we should, I should drink it black. There's something wrong with you. I, I don't know. You know, it's okay. Some normal people said put a little sugar in it, right? Put a little creamer in it. So if I were to take this cup of coffee, and I had never had coffee before, and I were to uh, take a packet of sugar, and I were to take that packet of sugar, I open it up, take a couple of packets. I'm sure you good Baptists drink a couple of packets of sugar. And I were to pour that in. And then I were to take some creamer, right? Because you got to have creamer in it. Not, not, probably not this powdered stuff. You know, you want the, the good stuff. But you take some creamer, and, and I were to take that, and I were to dump that in, and then I were to taste it. Oh, it's not very good. I mean, what, what, what's wrong with that? Take some more sugar, I dump it in. I, I take some more creamer, I dump it in, and then I taste it. What would you tell me that I forgot to do? You know, it's amazing because 
I can have all the ingredients in here. But until I take the time to get one of these little amazing things, these little stirs here, and I take the time to stir it up, it's not going to come out right. Because while all the ingredients are present, they need to be stirred together. They need to be mixed up in order to get the effect that you want it to have. You know, the same thing works when you take a cake. You know, for those of you that bake here, if I were to take a cake and I were to take flour and sugar and eggs and oil and I were to take everything and I were to put it in a bowl and then I were to just take a spoon and put it in and, and eat it, that's disgusting. I mean, that, that doesn't taste very good. All the ingredients are there, right? I mean, everything technically is there to make a great cake, but until they're mixed up, until they're stirred up, it never really has the effect that it's intended to have. Well, you know what? I believe that our Christian lives work the same way. Our walk with God works the same way. See, if I'm here tonight, we're in the middle of a missions conference, and I don't believe that there's many things that can be preached to the majority of people here that you're going to say, I didn't know, I have never heard that before. What do you mean there's people around the world that need to hear about Jesus Christ? I've never heard that before. Nobody's going to say that. But a lot of times, the problem isn't that we don't have all the ingredients in the right place. I mean, pastor does a great job of, of making sure that good, biblical, Bible-based teaching is being taught here. So the flour and the sugar and the eggs are all being put in. They're, they're special. There's events that go on here each week to try and add some, some other ingredients. But unless those ingredients get mixed together... The result is never going to be exactly what you want it to be. In Acts chapter number 17, I just want to show you a couple of verses very quickly. And I want to challenge you from something that we find here in God's Word. In Acts chapter 17, verse number 15, the Bible says, And they that conducted Paul brought him unto Athens, and receiving a commandment unto Silas and Timotheus, for to come to him with all speed, they departed. Now, while Paul waited for them at Athens, his spirit was stirred in him when he saw the city wholly given to idolatry. Therefore disputed he in the synagogue with the Jews and with the devout persons and in the market daily with them that met with him. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, I thank you for this time that we can spend in your word. Lord, very quickly as we look to your word this evening, Lord, I pray that you would help us, that you would open your word to us. Lord, there's nothing that I can say that can be a help to your people, but Lord, I know that if you would work tonight, Lord, that much can be done on your behalf tonight. Lord, I pray that you would empty me of any self and any sin, that you would fill me with your spirit. Lord, that it might be all of you and none of me. Hide me behind the cross, for it's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. I want to just preach a, a quick message to you entitled this evening, When You Get Stirred Up. When You Get Stirred Up. Paul is in Athens for the first time. And Athens, from what I read and the pictures that I see, was a beautiful city. But Paul wasn't there to sightsee. He was essentially just stuck there waiting for the rest of his group to catch up so that they could keep going on their trip. And I can imagine that if you or I were in a city like Athens for the first time, there would be a ton of things that we would want to do. I mean, we'd want to go sightseeing. We'd want to see all of the amazing, the, 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 the amazing statues and the amazing buildings that have been built. We would there would be a lot of things that we would say, man, if I got to go to Athens and I was only going to be there one time, there is a whole list of things that I'd like to do. Paul is in Athens for the first time. 
And it's amazing that Paul, when he's in Athens with all of the beauty, one of the most beautiful cities of the day, when Paul is in Athens, he doesn't make, he, the Bible doesn't say that he wanted to go sightseeing. The Bible doesn't say that, that Paul wanted to get out and, 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 and just have a good time, that he wanted to see what he could do. The Bible says that when Paul was sitting in Athens, something happened to him. Paul looked around and he didn't notice the beautiful scenery. He didn't notice all of the places that he could go. He didn't mark down all the things that he could do. The Bible says that when Paul was in Athens, something amazing happened to him. And it happened because of the words that we find. 16, the Bible says his spirit was stirred within him. You know, the amazing thing is, you know, if you take a washing machine and you put your clothes in the washing machine and then you put the water in the washing machine and you take some soap and you put the soap in the washing machine and, and you let it sit there and you let it all, all, all mix together and then you come back an hour later and you take out your clothes, your clothes are still going to be dirty. Because until you turn the washing machine on and the washing machine begins to agitate a little bit and starts to stir the waters a little bit, nothing good is ever going to happen. You know what I find in, in my life and I find is true of most Christians? A lot of times God takes the time to put all of the right ingredients in place. And he makes sure that we have good teaching and good preaching of his word. And we have everything that we need in order to do something special. In order to make something beautiful for God. But it's not until we start to agitate that thing a little bit. We start to shake it up a little bit. We start to mix those ingredients together that the amazing thing that can be made is actually made. And we see here a couple of things that happened with Paul when we look at this passage. The Bible says in verse number 17 that his spirit got stirred within him. Therefore, he disputed in the synagogue with the Jews. The Bible says that when Paul's spirit got stirred up, there was a reaction that happened. Paul started to look around at, at this city, and he didn't see the city for its beauty. He, make, he became concerned about the people of the city and about the spiritual condition of those things going on around him. Notice, it doesn't say, it doesn't say that Paul looked around and went out to make friends in the city. It doesn't say that he looked around and said, man, you know what, I'd like to spend a good amount of time here. The Bible says that Paul looked when he saw the spiritual condition of, his, of the city, his spirit got stirred up. And when he got stirred up, there's a reaction. How many bakers do we have here tonight? How many people like to bake? When you put all the right stuff together and you start to mix it up, my wife is a good, she's a, she's a great baker. She makes a lot of great food. I had to change that from good to great. You saw that, right? I said she's a good baker, and then I, okay, because I don't want to get in trouble when I go home. My wife is a great baker. But I've noticed she will make it, and then she will let it sit there. And once it's been sitting there for a while, you'll come back, and it's twice the size that it was when you first finished it. Well, what she says is there's a the reason for that. There's a reaction that happens when you put all those ingredients together. There's a reaction that happens when all of those chemicals and, and all of those ingredients start to mix together and it starts to do something inside. You know, I believe that God wants to get us to the point where we're getting stirred up and all of those good things, all of those Bible verses, all of that teaching, all of those, all the preaching that we've heard, all of it starts to mix together 
And it's not something that's just sitting flat in the bottom of the bowl. It's something that starts to become something even better than the ingredients were alone when they were put in. It becomes something that God can use to make something beautiful that's going to glorify Him. God doesn't want us to just be full of teaching of His Word. God doesn't want us to just be full of good ideas about how... God wants to mix those things up inside of us so that we can make something that's going to glorify Him. We see that Paul had a reaction to what happened. The Bible says, therefore, he disputed. He started looking and saying, man, I've got to do something about this. And listen, no amount of preaching, all that preaching can do is add information on top of information. I can't give you anything more in preaching than more information about what needs to be done. When you see a missions presentation, you're adding more information on top of information. But it's not until you say to the Holy Spirit of God, God, stir me up. Do something inside of my heart. I don't just want to continue to add information. I want to make something beautiful out of what you've given me, God. God used me to do something different. God used me to do something special. And then we start to see the reaction that happens. Listen, for the most of us, it's not our first missions conference. But it is after so many missions conferences we can get to the point where we look and we say, well, it's another one, Lord. I'm, I'm given already, Lord. And there's more needs. Lord, every year there's new missionaries. There's more that needs to be done. Lord, how much more? It's not until God stirs our spirit that we start to have the reaction that God wants us to have. Not only was there a reaction. The Bible says in verse number 18, Then certain of the philosophers and Epicureans of the Epicureans and the Stoics encountered him. Some said, What will this babbler say? Others some, He seemeth to be a setter forth of strange gods, because he preached unto them Jesus and the resurrection. That reaction created some recognition. People started to look and say, well, who is this guy? What is he talking about? I've never heard these things before. You the people that are bakers, you know, when, when you start baking, nobody really wants to be in the kitchen. You're asking for help. Hey, can somebody grab the bowls? Can somebody? No, no, we're, we're busy. But once that reaction starts to happen, all of a sudden, people start to appear in the kitchen, right? They start to walk in and say, well, what's going on over here? What's that smell? Can I lick that beater? Can I try handing them a spoonful of flour and see how interested they are in it? They're not interested at all. But when that reaction starts to take place, people start to show up. So, some wives are looking and saying, yeah, that's him right there. People start to show up because that reaction, that, that reaction gives some recognition. Wow, there's something going on here. Listen, God wants more than a reaction. God wants to use that reaction to draw attention to the fact that he's busy at work in your life. See, God doesn't want you to just give money to missions for the sake of giving to missions. God doesn't just want a bigger number out of you this year than he got last year. What God wants is the recognition that because I'm giving more this year than I did last year, it's showing that something is going on in my heart, that God is working inside of me to give me a love for the people of this world that he loves, that he died for, that he wants to save. And when that reaction is happening in my heart, there's some recognition of that in the things that I do. See, Paul began to react to the situation. 
But that reaction brought recognition in the fact that people start to say, what's this all about? See, God wants to use us to let people in this world see that there's something different about people who call him father. Amen. And that can never happen sitting in a church. That can never happen when our faith stays at home. It's not until everything starts to mix together and react that this world says, wow, what's different about those people at that church? God is doing something there. There's a reaction that leads to recognition. And you know what happens here if you've read through or if you don't, you can read down through the, the rest of the chapter as to what Paul does. He stands up on Mars Hill and he, he tells about God. He starts at the beginning and he goes all the way through Jesus Christ and he tells them about God that created the world and is calling all men to repent. And in verse number 32, the Bible says, And when they heard of the resurrection of the dead, some mocked, and others said, we will hear thee again of this matter. So Paul departed from among them, howbeit certain men clave unto him and believed, among the which was Dionysus the Areopagite, and a woman named Damaris and others with them. The reaction led to a recognition. The recognition, as it always does, leads to a response. Anytime the word of God is given, there's always a response. And it's always one of three responses. It's the same responses that we find here. The Bible says, and when they heard of the resurrection of the dead, some mocked. Some looked and said, what are you talking about? That's ridiculous. They denied the truth. Some people, when this missions conference is over, they will deny that they have any responsibility in doing more to reach the world with the gospel. It will happen. When you go out and you share the gospel of Jesus Christ with people, some people will deny that Jesus Christ ever lived. There, is all, there are always people in any, in any response, there are always people that will deny. The Bible says not only were there people that denied, the Bible says some mocked and others said, we'll hear thee again on this matter. There are people that will delay. They looked and they said, hey, listen, that sounds good. We'll listen to it another time. Hey, you know what? Pastor, I agree with everything that you said. This missions conference was wonderful. Thank you for bringing everybody in. And at some point, I'm going to do more. There's people, if you walk out of this door and you talk to them about Jesus Christ, they will not deny that Jesus Christ lived. They won't debate anything you said. They'll say, you know what? That sounds good. I will think about that and get back with you. There's always people that delay. But you know what? There's a third group here. The Bible says, how be it certain men clave unto him. There are certain people that when you call for a decision, they'll decide. I'm just going to get in on this thing. This thing is good. Man, I just want some of this. I'm not going to wait. They decide right then. And they move forward for God. If you walk out of these doors and you share the gospel enough times, there will be people that will deny. There will be people that delay. But there will be people that decide. Why? Because God's word, God says his word is not going to return void. He's, it will accomplish what he sent it to perform. And listen, in any group, tonight, there's finish this missions conference and some people look and say I don't need to do more this year I can't I mean, at some point I'll do more and then there's going to be others that say you know what there's a reaction going on in my soul God is burdening me with the need to reach this world with the gospel I don't want to delay I don't want to deny I just want to decide to do more for God than I ever have before listen God wants to do an even greater work than he's already done here next year than he did this year. God always wants to do more. 
And God wants to use each of the people here. He wants to use me and you to do those great things. But I think he's waiting for us to get stirred up. To not just continue to add more information on top of information. God wants to stir us up so that that reaction happens. And people recognize that God is at work. And we can call this world to make a response to the gospel of Jesus Christ. Listen, God stirs you through the working of the Holy Spirit in your life. Would you let God work this week? Would you let God stir you up to the challenge of missions to do more than you ever have before to see this world reached with the gospel of Jesus Christ? And I know that he will. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, I thank you for this time that we can spend in your word. God, I thank you for the opportunity to preach. Lord, the opportunity to share these things with your people. God, would you help us? Lord, would you stir us? That, Lord, all the knowledge that we have, all the good things that you've given us, Lord, that they would all come together into something beautiful that you're trying to make out of our lives. God, thank you for this wonderful church. Lord, I pray that you would help us. For it's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Thank you so much, Pastor Wendell. And uh, what a partnership it's been. Uh, he's just 15, 16 years old, I guess. Uh, when I first got saved and to be able to see him grow up and how God's used him here at Valley Forge. And we've had a wonderful, special relationship all of these years. We certainly thank the Lord for you and for Jody, your family, and what you mean to us, what you mean to Crossroads Baptist Church. You know, when you're out of church planning, sometimes you're trying to, uh, to share, share the need and uh, your pastor has uh, jumped there at the very beginning and supported us heavily and was there faithfully all of those years and then to have a good friendship, a good relationship, we certainly appreciate it and don't know where uh, we've gotten nearly as far without your loyal support and prayers of what this church has meant to us. And we certainly thank the Lord for each of you and appreciate the staff and just the opportunity we have to be able to serve, uh, serve the Lord together. I thank the Lord for the hospitality, the opportunity to be able to have dinner with um, Greg and Peg. That was a wonderful time last night, and they invited our missionary out of our church to be able to go there. Had a wonderful time, learned some things about North Carolina and hogs and chitlins and, and uh, cracklins and all of that kind of stuff. And, uh, but uh, we just had a great time of fellowship. The Lord delayed our food so we could spend more time together. So thank you all so much. Thank you for letting us uh, be here for the final day of your missions conference. I trust, trust that God will bless you in a special way. Take your Bibles if you, you're able to stand. Find Proverbs chapter 29. And uh, once you find that, if you're physically able to stand, I'm going to read a verse there and we'll look at uh, uh, several other passages here. Be easier to follow along. And if you're physically able to stand, let's stand together here for the reading of the Word of God. Proverbs chapter 29, it says, Where there is no vision, the people perish. But he that keepeth the law, happy is he. We're going to see some things about this wonderful verse in just a few moments, but I want you to focus uh, on the word people. Those are not products. Those are not animals. Those are not angels. That's people like us, human beings. So we need to think about the fact, according to this verse, people, and then can perish. That sounds like a tough word, and we're going to look at that word a little bit. 
and then there's no vision. So there's something people must have to keep from perishing. I want you to think about that here. And then it says, he that keepeth the law. Uh, that's the Bible. Uh, happy is he. Well, you get a little Bible in you and make all the difference in the world. No matter what you're going through in life, the Word of God has the answer for any situation we're facing. If we need to have anything, we need to get more of the law in us and then to help us because we don't want to perish. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you so much for what has taken place this week. And I do thank you for the, the testimonies of these special servants, these missionaries. Thank you for the presentations that they have shared with this congregation. Uh, thank you for how the church has reached out uh, to each of the missionary families. And thank you for all the music and all the hard work that's gone into a missions conference. And God, I thank you for what you've done. And I pray now that you would uh, take this final day, that you would bless the hearts of every person and make it uh, a church that will do even more than they've done uh, over the years for world evangelization. Now take me as your servant, cleanse me of any sin, empty me of self, fill me with your Holy Spirit. We ask it in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen. You may be seated. Thank you so much for standing. Proverbs chapter 29, of course, uh, is a very familiar, uh, it is an often uh, preached on, uh, and uh, a well-quoted verse. Where there is no vision, people perish. Oftentimes, the verse is used uh, to be able to challenge people to get involved in reaching the world with the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. And that's a, a good way. We need to be challenged to reach some 7.5 billion people with the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. You believe that? Say amen. amen. We need all that we can. I mean, that's our God-given responsibility. Now, the verse became very, very personal to me many, many years ago. You see, I, I, I grew, when I started preaching 40 years ago, uh, they tell me sometimes I'm a very serious person. My wife and others have said, family members who are around me a lot, you don't have much of a sense of humor. Well, I don't argue with, about that. I'm, I don't, I'm not a good joke teller. Uh, I don't have a lot of uh, stories that people laugh at. So uh, that kind of, as a young preacher, got me to the point in my life, uh, I've been around a lot of preaching. If you can't tell jokes and you can't tell stories and you can't get people's attention, what are you going to do? So I decided years ago, how about just preach the Bible? Do your very best to preach the Bible. Teach it in Sunday school. Preach it in the morning service. Preach it in the evening service. Preach it on Wednesday night. Preach it during missions conferences. Preach it during evangelistic meetings. Preach it all the time. After all, the Word of God is what made the difference in my life. I didn't get saved just by uh, some emotional experience. Somebody opened up the Bible, showed me I was lost. I got saved. I surrendered through the preaching of the Word of God to be a preacher. So it made a difference in my life. So why not share that with people? So I started preaching the Word of God as best as I knew how as a young preacher. Uh, on Saturday nights, as a pastor, you ponder about folks that you pray for and you, you want to know what's going on in their life. I, I remember a particular Saturday night where I was burdened about some people uh, in the congregation that I pastored. And I'd been praying, Lord, when I go in Sunday morning, I've got this message that you laid upon my heart. I'm certainly not going to single out people. I, that's for the whole 
Holy Ghost to be able to do. He has a way of taking the Word of God and, and, and dealing with people. So you don't single out people who preach the Bible and, Lord, I want you to do something in their lives. And I was preaching as hard as I knew how to preach, as simple as I knew how to preach, as biblically as I knew how to preach, and looking at those people. And when the invitation was given, they didn't respond at all. It troubled me, so I got in my car early on a Monday morning, headed on the other side of Richmond, Virginia. I started talking to the Lord. The Lord laid this particular passage, this verse, on my heart, went back, spent some time dealing with it, pondering over it, and prepared a message that I preach to the people that I love, that I pray for, that I'm burdened for, a message entitled, Where There Is No Vision, The People those that I pastor would perish. We understand the verse to literally mean without a proper view, without a proper revelation of the Word of God, people become ungovernable. They become unruly. They become disorderly. On the contrary, people who understand and obey the Word of God are happy people. So the idea is where there is no vision, think about vision, where there is no proper view, where there is no uh, proper revelation of what I hear preach, what I read, what I memorize, what I quote, if I don't have a proper view of what it means to me, I can perish. In other words, I can come to the point in my life, we as independent Baptists, we hear Bible preaching all the time, but we have people that are perishing. We have people that have become stubborn. We have people that have become selfish. We have people that have become callous. We have people that are, are uncaring. We have people that are not moved, no matter how many presentations they see, how many testimonies they hear, how many messages they hear. The problem is we don't have a proper view of what it means to us enough to change our lives. God give us a vision. So this morning I want to preach a message entitled A Vision Every Christian Person Ought to Have About Missions. I love mission conferences. I love missions. I'll tell you right now, the church that I pastored for 30 years and now in this 38th year, I believe without a doubt, it's not because of a man standing behind in the pulpit. It's not because you have a bunch of holy people. It's because we have made from day one that the heartbeat of our local church is world evangelization. We realize that that's what God has called the church to do. And I believe that God just as he's done here, has worked miracles because people have a proper view of what missions is all about. So I want you to listen for a few moments, and I'm going to preach on a mission, I mean a, 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 a vision every church member ought to have about missions. And I want you to focus it on missions, that is seeing churches reproduced around the world. I believe without a doubt Every person needs this kind of a vision. Now, in the Bible time, before the Bible was completed, God spoke to his prophets through visions. In other words, sometimes they were dreams, all right? And it was, when they had a vision, they needed to have a proper view of what Almighty God was saying to them in that vision. And when they did, 
It changed their direction. It changed their life. And you read sometimes when they didn't have a vision, sometimes it may have cost them their life. In other words, through those visions, they had a proper view of what God was saying for them to do. Now, we don't have those kind of visions today. God doesn't speak to us in those kind of visions like he spoke to his prophets. Now, I have had a lot of visions uh, being in mission conferences, especially if you eat at 10 o'clock at night, uh, uh, spicy food, and go to bed. I mean, I've had some, some strange visions. All right? I'm not talking about those kind of visions. Or if you had that kind of vision, that means you ate too much or you did something you shouldn't have done and you had a vision. I'm talking about a proper view of the Word of God that will change your direction, change your purpose, where you have a proper view. That's what God is saying to me. That's what God wants me to do. That's where God wants me to go. That's how God wants me to be behaved. I've got a view of what God's saying through his word. I want to use three prophets or three men of God in the Bible who had visions. And I want you to see from their vision what they saw, the proper view they had that changed their direction. And then I want us to understand we need that same kind of proper view from the Word of God to change our direction. All right, the first one I want you to see is the book of Isaiah. Just turn forward here to the book of Isaiah, chapter number 6. Isaiah had a vision. Now, when I, when I think, this, this really gets me when I think about Isaiah. Isaiah was one of the four major prophets, not one of the 12 minors. I mean, this is not just your average guy. This is a major prophet that had a vision, and in that vision, he had a proper view of some things that he got a hold of, and it changed his life. Isaiah chapter number 6, here's the first vision I think every Christian needs to have when it comes to mission. Verse number 1, in the year that King Uzziah died, I saw also the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up, and his train filled the temple. Above it stood the seraphims. Each one had six wings. With twain he covered his face, and with twain he covered his feet, and with twain he did fly. And one cried unto another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the post of the door moved at the voice of him that cried. And the house was filled with smoke. Then said I, this is Isaiah, Woe is me, for I am undone, because I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips, for mine eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Then flew one of the seraphims unto me, having a live coal in his hand, which he had taken from the tongues from off the altar. And he laid it upon my mouth and said, Lo, this hath touched thy lips, and thine iniquity is taken away, and thy sins purged. Verse number 8, also I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send, and who will go for us? Here's what Isaiah said. Then said I, 
Here am I, send me. I can't tell you how many times I've heard verse 8 quoted. I can't tell you how many times I've, I, I have preached from it and we've heard it preached from. I can't tell you how many missionaries have claimed it. I can't tell you how many church members have claimed it. Here am I, send me. But here's what we, we, we fail to understand. Before Isaiah, one of the four major prophets, could answer the call of God, here am I, send me, in verses 1 through 7, he had a vision. And in that vision, he saw some things about him where he was not ready to say, here am I, send me. Now, let's, let's look at the proper view he had there, there. First of all, if you notice there, in verses 1, 2, and 3, here's what he saw in that vision. If you understand what a vision is, a proper view of something. In that vision, he became conscious of who God was. He said, if you notice here, he saw some things about God. First of all, he said, I saw also, also the Lord sitting upon the throne. He said, I'm going to take a look, not at King Uzziah. I've been watching him kind of carefully, but I'm going to take a look at Almighty God. And when he looked at Almighty God, notice he began to respect his position. He saw him as high and lifted up. In verse number 2, notice the reverence he saw the seraphims giving to Almighty God. He said, they were humbled by his presence. Notice in verse number three, the response. They were saying, holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. Here's what he's saying. You know that one who's doing the calling? He's high and lifted up. You know that one who's doing the calling? The angels are crying out, holy, holy, holy. You know what I'm saying? That's not King Uzziah. That's Almighty God. And all he could say when he looked at Almighty God was, wow! Look at who I'm serving. Look at who's doing the calling. And once he was so wild about the, how God was high and lifted up and how holy he was, then all of a sudden he went from being convicted, conscious rather, of who God was and convicted of what he was not. He said, wow, it's me. He said, because I am a man of unclean lips, for mine eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. So he said, when I look at God and see who he is, I take a look at me and see what I'm not. He said, I'm not in a position where I am to answer the call of Almighty God. I need something, he said. I need a little help. But Isaiah, you're a major prophet. Yes, better 
than the minor prophets or better than another prophet. But when I look at God, I see something wrong with me. And in verses 6 and 7 is a picture of the forgiveness and the forgetfulness of Almighty God. And he takes the coals of forgiveness and forgetfulness and places them on the lips of this great prophet is a picture of forgiveness of God. That does something to me to realize that God can take a sinner and God can save us by his grace and then he could not only take us to heaven but he could use us to be a preacher, use us to be a missionary because he forgives and he forgets. And then after he became conscious of God's position and then convicted about his own predicament and cleansed by his power, then and then only was he commissioned to go where God wants him to go. Maybe, just maybe, in our independent Baptist churches, where we have the Word of God preached all the time, where we carry our Bibles and even carry the right kind of Bibles, where we read every day and we pray every day. Maybe, just maybe, we're looking around at how we compare it with other people rather than looking around at how we compare it with Almighty God. And maybe, just maybe, every day of my life, I need to look up and say, wow, look at God. Wow, look at me. Cleanse me that I can say, well, here am I. Here's the first vision every church member ought to have, a vision of self and its relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. Let me ask you something this morning. Are you a candidate for God to call and God to send to do this most important thing of taking the gospel to a lost and dying world, seeing God use you to plant New Testament churches. Just maybe we're not wild enough about God to be woed enough about us to get to the point where you can clean us up and say, well, here am I, send me. And we're going to do what God wants us to do for mission. We've got to have some people. So because if we don't have people with that kind of a vision, we'll perish. We'll become stubborn, selfish, callous, uncaring, sitting in the pews. Whether we ought to be saying, here am I. Here am I, not a perfect vessel, but a cleansed vessel that you can use for your honor and glory. God, give me a vision of self. Every day of our lives, we need to take a look at God. And every time I look at him high and lifted up in the holiness of God, I'm going to see something wrong with me to say, woe is me. And I need the cleansing power so I can say, well, here am I, send me. Now let's go quickly to the New Testament, Acts chapter 9. The first vision every, every Christian needs to have if I'm going to really do with missions what God wants me to do. Acts chapter 9. We're going to look at two visions by, I believe, the greatest church missionary planner in all the Bible, the Apostle Paul. I need a vision of self 
in its relationship to the Lord Jesus Christ. But in Acts chapter 9, verse number 3, the apostle Paul had a vision. And as he journeyed, he came near Damascus, and suddenly there shined round about him a light from heaven. And he fell on the earth and heard a voice saying unto him, Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? And he said, Who art thou, Lord? And the Lord said, I am Jesus, whom thou persecuted. It is hard for thee to kick against the pricks. And he, trembling and astonished, said, Lord, what wilt thou have me to do? The apostle Paul had a vision. He might, a vision is a proper view or proper revelation. In other words, I understand something that's going to make a difference in my life. In that vision, there are several things that he understood. He, first of all, had an understanding that he was lost. He came to the point in his life where Paul, Saul at that time understood being religious is not enough. I, I, doing good is not enough. I mean, he was a busy man doing what he thought was right, doing religious things. But he realized he needed to be saved God's way. God's way is putting your faith and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. I must believe that I'm a sinner, believe that he died, was buried, was raised from the dead. And by faith, if I put my faith and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ, I'll be saved God's way. Let me say here this morning, you'll never understand anything, missions, until you're saved God's way. And by the way, just because you're a member of the church doesn't mean you're saved. Just because you do good doesn't mean you're saved. Just because you give the missions doesn't mean you're saved. You've got to be saved God's way. Put your faith and trust in the death, burial, and resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. And I appeal to you today, if you're not saved, you ought to get saved today. Then you'll understand a little bit more about mission. He got saved God's way. He had a proper view that he was lost. He understood that Jesus had died for him, and he got saved God's way. Then in verse 6, he says, Lord, what will thou have me to do? Now, let me talk to people who are saved. Once you're saved, you know what God's will is for your life? If you have a proper view, he wants you to surrender to God's word. It's the word of God that I need to surrender to. Paul got saved, and immediately he surrendered to God's word. Lord, what will thou have me to do? Not what I want to do. What does thou want me to do? He got saved God's way, surrendered to God's word. Verse number 11, the Bible says he prayeth. You know what he's doing? He's seeking God's will. Hey, that's pretty good. Get saved God's way. I remember when I got saved by the word of God. Next thing I wanted to do, whatever he preached in the word of God, I surrendered to that. Then I wanted to know, God, what do you want me to do next? We ought to get saved God's way, surrender to God's word, we ought to seek God's will and then follow his life. The rest of his life, he served in God's work as a church planting missionary. He knew that was the purpose. Oh, if we could get people in our local churches to understand, the church is not a social club. The church is not an organization. The church is an organism where God saves sinners who surrender to God's word, seek God's will, and serve in God's church. Have an impact upon other people. Involve my life in some 
anybody else. And don't take years and years and years to do it. I mean, salvation ought to be worth enough to do it immediately. Save God's way. Surrender to God's word. Seek God's will. Lord, what do you want me to do? And God, I'm going to serve. I'm going to be what you want me to be in and through this organism that's the pillar and ground of the truth, the program of God, the place where Jesus is preeminent, what was purchased with his blood. I want to be involved in that. Give me a vision. If not, I'll be a casual church member. I'll do a little here and a little there, but I'll never give him my total life. The second vision every Christian ought to have, I need first of all the vision of self, his relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. But I need a vision of my service through the local church. I'm not talking about just serving God. I mean serving God through the local church. Give it your time. Give it your talent. Give it your treasure. God, give me a vision. The church changed my life. I would have gone Thursday night and I got saved in my rec room of my home. But getting in the church where I got baptized and where I learned and where I had a chance to give my time and talent and treasure, raise my family, made me a better husband, a better father, a better Christian. That organism, the gates of hell, shall not prevail against it. And God, give me a proper view of my service. How much more could Valley Forge Baptist Temple do the mission if my service was more committed to God? Acts chapter 16, quickly. Let's see another vision he had. I need a vision of self and its relationship to the Lord Jesus Christ. I need a vision for service through the local church. And then th third vision he had, Acts chapter 16, verse 9. And a vision appeared to Paul in the night. There stood a man of Macedonia and prayed him, saying, Come over into Macedonia and help us. And after he had seen the vision, immediately we endeavored to go into Macedonia, assuredly gathering that the Lord had called us for the preach the gospel unto them. I need a vision of self and its relationship to the Lord Jesus Christ. That way, I can be ready when God calls, when God sends. I need a vision of service to the local church. If I give it my time and give it my talent, give it my treasure, the church can do what God wants it to do. But I need, thirdly, a vision for souls and their lost condition in this world. I need that in my life. I need to know that people outside of these doors, in all these countries, in all of these places, people without Jesus Christ go to a Christless eternity. God, give me a proper view of that. Notice when Paul had that vision, he understood some things. He understood, first of all, the lost over Macedonia are calling, come on! Come over and help us. He understood that. People outside of these doors, in every place we go, who don't know Jesus Christ are still calling, come over. Come over, Valley Forge 
you got the truth, come over and help us. And then he said, immediately we endeavored to go. Why did they do that? He not only heard that the lost were calling, he knew that the Lord that he served had commanded. Matthew 28 tells us we're to go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. The mission of the church is missions. That's a mandate. God's given the church a ministry which you are to be a part of, of evangelizing. That means everybody ought to try to win somebody to Jesus. Everybody ought to try to get that person who won to Jesus baptized in the church. Everybody ought to be discipling somebody. And when you evangelize and they're baptized into the church and they're disciple, the Holy Spirit of God has no problem mobilizing people out of the church to go around the world. That's God's authentic plan with his assured promise and his available power, and he has chosen people to do that, and if people don't do that, we perish. We become ungovernable, unruly, without restraint. We don't do that. The third vision we ought to have, God, give me a proper view of the lost conditions of people outside of these doors that will make me be willing to go and be what God wants me to be. And then lastly, very quickly, Back to Acts chapter 10, and I'll close with this. I need a vision of self and its relationship to the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm talking about a proper view. Where do I stand when I look at God and I see him high and lifted up and holy? I see what I'm not. And I ought to be willing to ask him to put the coals of forgiveness on my life that I can be in a position where you can call you can sin. God, when you put me in a local church, give me a proper view of my service there. When I walk outside of these doors, give me a proper view to see people that are lost and need Jesus Christ. But Peter, who was a Jew, the story here, we don't have time to read all of this, but the story here, Cornelius was a Gentile. Peter was a Jew. Peter believed that salvation was only for the Jews. God gave him a vision, and he sends them to Simon's house, in verse number 9 and on through this chapter, he goes up onto the housetop, Peter, to eat. He's hungry. Now notice, if you would, in, let's pick it up uh, in verse 12. He goes up and he has this vision. Verse 12, he says, Wherein were all manner of four-footed beasts of the earth and wild beasts and creeping things and fowls of the air. And there came a voice to him, Rise, Peter, kill and eat. But Peter said, Not so, Lord. He knew who was talking to him. For I have never eaten anything that is common or unclean. And the voice spake unto him again the second time, What God hath cleansed, that call thou not common. And this was done thrice, and the vessel was received up again into heaven. Verse 19, while Peter thought on this vision, the Spirit said unto him, Behold, three men seek thee. Arise therefore and get thee down and go with them, doubting nothing, for I have sent them. Peter had a vision. And Peter learned something. What he called creeping things, God wanted to show him clearly that he loves all creatures because all of us in the sight of God before we were saved were nothing but creeping things. 
And God was showing Peter clearly that the salvation I have, my son who's died, he not only died for you, Peter, and the Jews, but he died for the Gentiles. Peter goes back to Cornelius' house. Cornelius gathers all of these people here. You see it in verse 27, verse 34, to the end of the chapter. He gathers all of the people back together. And, he, and here's, here's, what, here's the, the vision that he had that he understood. He understood several things in that vision. Number one, everybody is reachable. What he thought was creeping things, God saw them as creatures that needed to be saved, people. He understood not only that, that everybody is reachable, but he understood this. Every person is responsible. If I have the truth, I'm responsible for giving it to somebody else. Peter had to learn that. Don't you, don't you look at those Gentiles as creeping things. You look at those as people that Jesus died for. In verse 27, he also learned this. When he gave the truth, guess what? Many of them got saved. Preached the gospel across the street in another state, anywhere in the country, around the world, and guess what? Creeping things get saved. <laughs> he went a little bit further. Not only was everybody reachable, everybody responsible, many will get saved. When, when Cornelius bowed down to him, he says, get up. When he says, God's no respecter of person. God loves everybody the same. There's no, he doesn't have any choice selection. He chose the Jews as a nation, but the day Jesus died for the world. And guess what? Once they got saved, they go back there and they were baptized and became a part of that church. I'm a strong believer that people need more than just getting saved. They need to be in a good Bible-believing church any place in the world where they have the same opportunity we have. God, give us that kind of a vision. We're so selective about people. I've been that way. I've done that. You've done that. Many other people. We look at people and we determine whether they can get saved or not. No, no, no. The gospel will save anyone. We just needed enough of a vision to be able to understand that. Without a vision, people like us perish. You want missions to set your heart on fire where you will be willing to go, willing to give, pray like you've never prayed, witness like you've never witnessed before. The first thing you need to do is a proper view of where you stand with God. God calls people. Am I a candidate for God to call? If I am, I must be cleansed of sin, emptied of self, and filled by his spirit. God-filled people go around the world and get the job done. God, give me a vision of where I stand with the Lord Jesus Christ. If I'm a member of Valley Forge Baptist Church Temple, give me a vision of my service. What, what's happening to missions based on my service. Could we do more if my service was better? And then, God, when I walk out of these doors on my job in the grocery store, give me a vision, a proper view that people that don't have what I have and die without Jesus Christ end up in a place called hell. And God, help me never to look at someone and think, well, that person could never be saved. That person could never be a good church member. That person could never fit here. Help me to realize the same salvation 
that got you where you are today, that salvation will get anybody serving God because it's a, it's a God thing. May God help us to have a vision when it comes to missions that includes a proper view of self, his relationship to the Lord Jesus Christ, a proper view of my service through my local church, a proper view of lost souls and their condition in the world, and a proper view that my Savior loves all creatures, and I can prove that because he loved me. May God help us to have a vision that we may not perish. Let's bow our heads in prayer. Every head bowed and every eye closed, I'm going to ask just a few questions. First of all, how many men, women, boys, and girls can say there's some point in time in my life where I had a proper view of where I stood with God and I needed to be saved and God saved my soul and I'm 100% sure that I'm saved today. If you believe that, you know that, raise your hands for just a moment. I'm saved. It's settled in my heart. You may put them down. How many of you just raised your hand and said, Preacher, something you said in that vision thing, God spoke to me a heart about either my relationship with him, my service to the local church, uh, how I look at lost souls, or how I look at people. God's spoken to my heart in some way, and I want you to pray for me in your closing prayer. If you're a Christian, that's you. Would you slip your hands up real high? God's spoken to my heart. Thank you. God bless you. You may put them down. And then one final question. How many say, Preacher, I need to go back to that thing Paul had. Paul was a religious, busy man. But Jesus, Jesus met him and told him he needed to have a proper view of where he stood with Jesus. I'm not 100% sure if I died today that I'd go to heaven. I am 100% sure I don't want to go to hell. In your closing prayer, would you pray for me that I might have a clear enough vision to accept Jesus as my Savior? If that's you here, down here in the balcony, if that's you, would you slip your hand up for just a moment? Pray for me. Anyone like that? God will save any person. And just because you're religious, just because you're a church member, just because you do good things, that doesn't make you a Christian. But God is in the business of saving people God's way. Let's stand together. I'm going to pray. We have an invitation. If you're a Christian, if you raise your hand, you ought to find yourself here. This is the last day of the missions conference. God's not just interested in money. He's interested in people. He chose people. He's still looking for someone that could say, here am I, send me, send me. But God says, I want you to see who I am, who's calling. And I've got coals of forgiveness and forgetfulness that I can place on you to make you a candidate. And maybe you just need to come talk to him, talk to him about your service, talk to him about just your attitude about winning people to Christ and let God make a difference. If you're not saved, there'll be some folks down front here will take a Bible and show you how to be happy, how to have some joy in your heart by accepting Jesus Christ. Father, we thank you for this group of people who've listened to the preaching of the Word of God today. I thank you for the many hands that raised, were raised about something you spoke to them about. Only you and that person know. But I pray they might come or at least take time and pray there where they are to make sure that they settle this thing with Lord, the Lord. Oh, the mission of the church is so important to you. And we don't want to perish. We have been privileged with the truth.
good Bible preaching, Bible teaching every single service. And yet there's so many of God's people that are perishing. We've become unruly, without restraint, selfish, and stingy, and not thinking about what God can do to our lives. I pray you'll speak to hearts. Now you move as only you can, and we'll thank you for it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. The invitation is going to be song. If God speaks to your heart, you do what God tells you to do. If you need to come, the old-fashioned altar here. I remember when I first got saved in 1976, they had a revival meeting. And I went to the altar all seven nights, but never went for the same thing. It's just that the more I learned about Jesus, the more problems I saw about me. And I always made that a habit. And I've been saved 43 years now, and I still, my son preaches from time to time, I still find myself going to an altar because you keep your eyes on Jesus, you're going to be saying, woe is me. Whoa, 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 whoa. You compare yourself to somebody else, you'll be okay. You can always find somebody worse than you. But you take a look at him, you're going to find that I just need his coals of forgiveness and forgetfulness because I want to be what he wants me to be in life. He speaks to your heart. You need to come. You come as you see. Thank you so much, Pastor Wendell. Uh, we've said, I guess, some 27 or so churches started as a church planting ministry out of Crossroads Baptist Church. And by, one, by the way, one of those is a white couple out of our church. So we believe churches ought to take people you have in your church and send them out. And, and uh, uh, we sent to Omaha, Nebraska is one of the churches we started. And uh, sent our piano player and uh, another young man who headed up our visitation. And they're doing a wonderful job. West Omaha, Baptist, West Omaha Baptist Church there in Omaha, Nebraska. And we thank the Lord uh, for that. COVID is a lot more than just uh, a church planning. That's just a ministry out of our local church. I believe all local churches, all the plant churches. That's the whole plan of God is the churches plant churches. I believe that and uh, people get involved but we've seen all kinds of relationships built. We have th uh, three young men attending a Bible college down in North Carolina. One of them was the first young man saved out of his fa family out of, uh, we call it, uh, out of the area there in southeast Washington, D.C. Uh, surrendered to preach and we're training him now. I met a young lady he's dating. Another young man is a football player who uh, uh, gave up football. He's down in Bible college now. And another young man as well. So uh, COVID has opened the door to be able to see churches planted and uh, communities all over uh, the country and the world. And we thank God. Uh, I just believe that all saved people ought to have an opportunity to use their time, talent, uh, and treasure for the work of the Lord. And that's what COBA is all about. And we've had it uh, 26 years now. We have a meeting and it has a threefold purpose. Number one, to educate the, uh, the saints of God uh, what God's plan is. God's plan is to save people, call them, see churches planted. And then we try to encourage service. There are black 
people who want to be good fundamental Christians all over America. We want them to go back to their community, whatever church, they may be the only black person in that church, go back and use your time and talent to help reach more people. And then, of course, it's to enlist support to get other churches to get behind what we're doing to see churches planted for the glory of God. And we certainly thank the Lord for Valley Forge Baptist Temple has been our greatest supporter, not just in uh, financial support, but just friendship, fellowship, and it's good. Uh, Jeanette and I are in a lot of churches of all sizes, all makeup. Sometimes we're the only spot in the church. Uh, you can figure that out, but uh, that doesn't bother us. Uh, we're about, I preach the same message, whether, no matter who we're preaching to, because it's a Bible message. But uh, all of these years we've traveled and been uh, different places, and we thank the Lord. But we are, uh, enjoy being in mission-hearted churches. But to come to a place like Valley Forge, you're coming to a place where you already know you have special people there that's been a vital part of your life and the windows have been that and others are here all of my Christian life and Jeanette said driving up here uh, you don't have to be tense at all I'm usually not too tense in most places I go but you're going to a place where you know people where people uh, love you even if I mess up they'll still love me and I thank the Lord for that thank you all for having us and uh, we've been married 53 years and all of our children are involved and nine kin grandchildren all in the work of the Lord and uh, it's worth it all just for that, to be able to see your family serve the Lord. Thank you for making us feel right here at home. I told you, Pastor, today, Valley Forge is a special place that God's using in a great, great way. Unfortunately, sometimes a lot of people don't know what they have when you have a good local church. Appreciate what God's given you. Be faithful, serve the Lord, and uh, give it your time, talent, and treasure, and let God use you. Churches have been given the great commission, and God doesn't use angels to do that. He uses people redeemed by his precious blood. And uh, uh, these missionaries, you've heard testimonies and you've seen presentations, but they, missionaries won't get to the field unless God's people in the local church will use their resources to get them there. And I hope you'll understand that. And this finale Sunday, do your very best for the glory of God. 1 Samuel chapter 22. 1 Samuel chapter 22 for our message. I know we have a lot to do. I'll try to get through this quickly here tonight. Uh, I have just a little three-point message, but I have a little testimony, a, a illustration here that's a little long, but I want you to listen to it uh, tonight. And then uh, trust that God will bless a special way. 1 Samuel chapter 22, if you're physically able to stand. I'm just read the first four verses, and that's the only passage we'll turn to, uh, to tonight and uh, ask the Lord to be able to finish this final message of this year's uh, missions conference. 1 Samuel uh, chapter 22, beginning in verse number 1. David therefore departed thence and escaped to the cave of Adullam. And when his brethren... And all his father's house heard it. They went down thither to him. And everyone that was in distress, and everyone that was in debt, and everyone that was discontented gathered themselves unto him, and he became a captain over them. And there were with him about 400 men. And David went thence to Mizpahs of Moab, 
And he said unto the king of Moab, Let my father and my mother, I pray thee, come forth and be with you all with you till I have, till I know what God will do for me. And he brought them before the king of Moab, and they dwelt with him all the while that David was in the hold. Our Father, we thank you so much tonight for all that has been done these several days in this year's missions conference. You've sent some very special servants here that have shared their testimonies. And the Lord, they have shown their DVD presentations. They've uh, opened their hearts and expressed what God has done in their lives to help this local church to be challenged, to be able to give more, pray more, go more, do more, to reach the world with the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I pray as this church will make their commitments financially and give of themselves in a very special way. I pray that the God of heaven who gave the church the great commission will be pleased with everything that takes place. Now I pray these few moments as we look into the word of God to take me as your servant, cleanse me of any sin, empty me of self, fill me with your spirit. Bless the preaching of God's holy word. We ask it in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen. You may be seated. Thank you so much for standing. Most of us who've been in church any length of time to read the Bible understand that the nation of Israel was God's chosen nation. Now you think for a moment as you read about kings and you read about all that God's done uh, in the Old Testament, Israel had the best that anyone could ever have. You can't improve upon God. They had God as their king, God as their leader. But they looked around at all of the other nations and they wanted to have what everybody else had. They wanted a king like everybody else. God told the prophet Samuel, Samuel, they're not upset with you. They're upset with me. If they want a king, that's not my will, but I'll let them, ha let them have a king. He said, in spite of the fact that's not my will, but if that king will do right, in spite of the fact that that's not my perfect will, I will still bless you. What a God who blesses his people in spite of the fact that we don't always do what he wants us to do. He said, I'll still bless them. Of course, he chose King, uh, King Saul, who was tall and strong and stood above the rest of the men. And Saul became rebellious. He rejected God, and therefore God rejected him. And God says, we're going to do this thing over this time, I'm going to find a man after mine own heart. He tells the prophet Samuel in 1 Samuel chapter 16, I want you to go down to the house of Jesse. Jesse's got some boys down there, and I've chosen one of them to be the next king of the nation of Israel. Samuel goes down, and Jesse brings out his first three sons, and the Lord whispers to Samuel, the Lord hath not chosen him. He went through seven of the sons and he said this, The Lord hath not chosen these. Man looks on the outward appearance, but God looks on the heart. Let me say here tonight, nothing pleases God any more than the heart.
He's not impressed with intellect. He's not impressed with our ability. But God is still moved by the heart of men, women, and young people. He said, you must have another one. Well, we got a little shepherd boy down there. He's a good-looking little ruddy feller. He says, go get him. And he brings it up this little shepherd boy, and this little shepherd boy had something. He had a lot of other gifts and talents, but he had something that got the attention of God. He had a heart, and God said, anoint him. And then the prophet anoints David, the shepherd boy, to be the next king of the nation of Israel. He wasn't chosen by the people. He wasn't chosen because of his height. He was chosen because of the attitude of his heart. But the most important thing, he was chosen by God. He's the next king. If you study the king sometimes, when another king would take over, they'd kill the king that was there before. But David says, no. God's chosen me, and Saul is still God's anointed one. I'm not going to touch him. What I'm going to do, I'm going to serve him. He became his armor bearer. He became his son-in-law. He, he, he fought for him. He became his musician. All he did was serve. And the more he served Saul, the king, the more jealous and envious the king became. became. And on several occasion, occasions, he tried to kill David. And in the passage I just read, one of those times, he's running from King Saul, whom he's serving for his life. He finds himself down in the cave of Adullam. Now think about this. We're not just talking about the shepherd boy or the musician. Uh, we're not talking about uh, the talented man. We're talking about the anointed king of the nation of Israel running for his life just for serving his king. And I want you to notice a very interesting thing happened. God's anointed king doing what God wants him to do, down serving in a cave, and the Bible says 400 men, later to be 600 men. They were busy men. They had families. They had all kinds of problems going on in their lives. But they recognized something that's God's man doing God's work, and they put aside everything else they were doing and went down and joined up with King David doing God's work, and for the next 40 years, you see the making of a great team. I mean, when they were down in the wilderness, there was a team. When they went into the palace, there was a team. When David had to leave because of Absalom, there were a team. They stuck together as a team doing something to honor Almighty God. Years and years ago, when I read this passage, I thought about, you know, there are a lot of things we want to happen, happen in a ministry. 
We want to have nice buildings. We want to have large congregations. We want to have a lot of money coming in. There are a lot of things. We want to have big choirs, and we have a lot of these things in our churches. But I believe without a doubt the thing that gets the heart of God, the thing that moves God the most, is not a team with a great building or a great choir or a large congregation. It's but when men, women, boys, and girls put their hearts together and the church becomes a great missions team. A missions team where every man, every woman, every boy or girl realize this is God's plan. This is God's program. And I'm getting on the team. I've been in a lot of churches, a lot of churches with big, large buildings and all kinds of things going on. But I'll tell you, there's something special when you walk in a place where men, women, boys, and girls give their heart for world evangelization, and you know that you know the church is a missions team. And it's not a one-man show. This is not for a few people. This by every blood-washed sinner says, "Let me tell you something. I've been saved by the grace of God. I, I, I want to be on the team. God's commanded the church, commissioned the church, and I wanted to help it to be the greatest team." It can ever be for the glory of God. For a few moments, I want you to look at David's team that lasted 40 years under all kinds of circumstances, stood together. Not a big group of people. These 600 men could fight battles. These 600 men would roam around in the wilderness. These 600 men knew how to behave when he was there in the palace. I mean, they were just about doing what God's man was leading to do for the glory of God. And I want you to notice three characteristics that I believe that makes a church a great missions team. Now, I'm telling you, I've been preaching for 40 years. I preached in churches where there were only three, and I preached in churches where there's several thousands and all sizes in between. And every church with a crowd, and every church with a building, and every church with a choir, and every church with a lot of things doesn't mean it's a great missions team. But God wants a great missions team where men, women, boys, and girls will understand since this is God's plan, this is God's purpose, that I'm getting on the team. I'm going to be a part of the team, and circumstances will not stop me from being on the missions team of my local New Testament church. Three characteristics. I want you to notice, first of all, in verse number one, what made David's team such a great team? It says in verse number one, David therefore departed thence and escaped to the cave of Adullam. And when, he, uh, when uh, his brethren and all his father's house heard it, notice this, they went down thither to him. The first characteristics of David's team is simply this. There were no drafted personnel. Now, if you study King, King Saul, if you had a talent, if you could fight, if you had resources, he didn't care about the family. Saul would draft people to serve with him. David's team was not made up of drafted personnel. They were all volunteers. They were simply 
men that did three things that I believe it takes to be on a great missions team. First of all, they recognized that this was God's plan. They were following God's man. Secondly, we find that they realized there was a need. David needed them. And thirdly, they responded with haste to get involved. Would to God that every man, every woman, every boy, every girl in the local church would recognize missions is the plan of God. It's not something that we bring into the church because we can't find anything else to do. This is the plan of God and the purpose of God and the promise of God. And we've got to have find people who recognize that faith promise giving, grace promise giving is not commanded in the scripture. God's looking for some people that love him and love what he loves enough to say I'm going to volunteer to get on the mission team. That's why your faith promise card doesn't have a name on it. God's not going to make you get on the missions team of your church. He just wants you to love him enough to want to get on it. He wants you to be burned enough to want to get on it. He wants you to be moved enough to want to get on it. But he is not looking to draft anybody. He wants people to volunteer. Oh, I've seen over my life some people have gotten a hold of something in a missions conference that they didn't need anybody to preach to them any longer. They didn't need anybody to encourage them. God did something in their heart that moved upon them until they volunteered and said, I'll go where I need to go. I'll do what I need to do. I'll be what I need to be. I have seen this thing. I recognize. I reckon I realize. And I'm going to respond with haste. And not my circumstances won't stop me. 30 years ago, October 3rd, 1989, I had the privilege of preaching at the old Southwide Baptist Fellowship in Chattanooga, Tennessee. In 1988, Dr. Don Sis had been the moderator. In 1989, for the first time in 32 years, Dr. Jack Hiles was not going to preach the second message on Tuesday night at the Southwide Baptist Fellowship. All of the team, they were all concerned. If he's not going to be here a lot of the people are not going to come, and we're not going to have great attendance. We've got to figure out how to get somebody that can replace him that will keep the crowd coming. Now, if anybody knows Dr. Don, this is one of the greatest Christian uh, men you'll ever meet any place in the world. He came up with this idea, which I would have never come up with, and anybody that, uh, sh not too many other people should have come up with it, but he says, I got an idea. Instead of bringing in S.M. Lockridge and bringing in some well-known, why don't we bring up this fellow up in, D, in the D.C. area, Dr. Lou Baldwin, bring him down the priest. Now, we're meeting in a banquet room. Not, no, bank, this time we're in a storefront. We're in a storefront with, with about 100 people in our church. And I mean, he's su suggesting that. And then he added to that, he says, why don't we bring his choir? Now, bear with me for a moment. Little black church, and black choir singing at the Southwide Baptist Fellowship full of white folks. <laughs> Make a long story short, they decided to do that. We got excited. We had about 100 people to get together. I mean, we drove down, we flew down to T Tennessee Temple University that Tuesday night. Dr. Clarence Sexton preached the first message, and then it was time. 
We had about 20 in our choir. My son Michael was going to school there at the time, sang with the White Gold Concert Choir, and they joined them together, and uh, they were singing, I Go to the Rock. And I mean, it was a, a wonderful, wonderful time, and everybody was thinking, if we have a black preacher in a black choir, we're going to need to fasten our seat belts because we're going to have a time tonight. <laughs> of course, they got up and sang, The Reason We Sing. And I go to the rock and the beautiful message. And then it got time to preach. Time to preach. Dr. Lee Robertson was sitting here. Dr. Al Jennings was sitting here. Dr. Bud Calvert introduced me, gave this long, glorious introduction of Lou Baldwin. And I got up to preach and I prayed and fasted. And Lord, what do you want me to preach? My message was entitled, The Spiritual State of Black America. 6,000 people there, 5,900 white and about 100 black, and most of them came from Crossroads. <laughs> oh, I mean, you could see it. I mean, everybody was on attention. This preacher gets up, and I was a lot younger, 30 years younger then, and I'm fired up to preach the spiritual state of black America. Point number one, black America is religiously confused. Oh, amen, about 5,800 of them said. <laughs> zeal for God, but not according to righteousness. Amen. And I gave some illustrations that were graphic. Point number two, black America is not only religiously confused, but black America has been racially neglected. Way back in the back, 6,000 people, one black fellow here, Amen. <laughs> I said that, that sometimes that, that neglect is an ignorance of knowing the people. Nobody said a word. Our black folks didn't say a word. Way back in the back. Amen. <laughs> sometimes it's intentional prejudice. Nobody said a word. Way back in the back. Amen. About that time, I was saying, oh, Lord, I hope they don't think that black fella is one of us because we're from Northern Virginia and we are cultured black folks. <laughs> Finished preaching, gave the illustration. He's loud, crazy, embarrassing me and embarrassing our other black folks over there. And then point number three, black America is not only religiously confused and racially neglected, but black America is ready for change and preached on uh, Cornelius, as I mentioned uh, in the message this morning. And then the invitation, time for the invitation. I'm standing here, I've preached a long time. I turned to Dr. Jennings, he's the pastor. He said, no, 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 no. I turned to Dr. Lee Robinson, he said, no, 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 no. So I come back here and I give the invitation. And God, make a long story short, hundreds and hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of preachers grabbed each other, came down to the altar. And probably that one night is the reason I'm standing here tonight that it made a difference. And then I wanted to find out who in the world is that crazy <laughs> fella back in the back. I found out that he was a young black preacher who had just gotten saved in 19... 87, and he'd been begging God to give him a preacher who could teach and train him so he could go back to Arkansas and plant churches. 
So he goes back after this. He said, I found what I'm looking for. His wife was pregnant. They had one son. He works for the post office. He goes back. He resigns from the post office, transfers up to D.C. His cousin works for IRS, is already in our church. They get a, a, a two-level house where he took the top level and the other one took the bottom level. They lived there together, got on the front row of our church, took over the prison ministry, found out he was one of the greatest givers of love for mission. He kept saying all the time, I want to go to Arkansas. I need to get to Arkansas. And I was saying to myself, when you learn how to behave and have a little culture, maybe we'll get you to Arkansas. Four and a half years, he preached on the street. He preached in the jail. He gave the missions. He, he gave, just sold with everything you could think of. He would do it, but he never lost sight of that. I want to go to Arkansas. After four and a half years and watching him, we discovered he not only had a heart for missions and a heart for giving, but we noticed something weird about him as a preacher. His family didn't eat meat. I'm talking about chicken, ham, roast beef, none of that. They only ate salads and vegetables. We used to call them the weed eater. They were. <laughs> After four and a half years, I said, okay, it's time to send them to Arkansas. We're about ready to start a church in Arkansas. Has a good pastor. Let's go down and take a survey and see what Arkansas has to offer. I put him on a plane and we go down to Arkansas and we, gra we grab a room that night. I take him to Shoney's. I don't know if they have Shoney's anymore, but I took him to Shoney's to feed him that night. Being a good pastor, knowing he's going to eat at least two salads, I go to the salad bar and I fix my plate. I go sit down and wait for him to come back. He comes back to the table. On his plate is chicken, <laughs> roast beef, ham. And I said, Brother Dad, before we pray, I mean, I'm thinking to myself, I've got a big old hypocrite here. <laughs> he's, been, he's been deceiving us in church and probably going home and eating this stuff. All this meat on his plate, and I got salad <laughs> out of respect. And he said something to me and our priests all over the world. I said, Ted, I don't understand that. Our whole church believes that you all don't eat meat. Tell me what happened. He said, I was in a missions conference. And I, I heard the need to help get missionaries on the field. And I went back home that night and I told my family, we're going to give up meat and what we were spending on meat, we're going to give for world evangelization. He recognized God's program, God's plan, and responded. Would to God that we give up something. When we recognize this is God's plan, this is God's business, this is not a Sunday school program, and respond enough but God's not going to draft anybody. He wants the heart to be moved enough to get on the team. No drafted personnel. Number two, look at verse number two. And everyone that was in distress, and everyone that was in debt, and everyone that was discontented. The second characteristics of David's team is simply this. They were not delayed by problems. They had problems. There were men in distress. 
But that didn't stop them from getting on the team. They were men in debt. But that didn't stop them from getting on the team. Would to God that we wouldn't let some hard time that I'm going through cause me to neglect the need of the world. Would to God that I wouldn't let the fact that I've got bills and I've got things going on that will keep me off the missions team. God, help me not to be delayed by distress or by debt. And the Bible went on to say they were discontented. The word discontented there means they were dissatisfied with the state of things to attempt to do something about it. You know, when, when people make changes in their lives, you look around, you look around and you see a DVD presentation and you see the need in a country or need in a situation and nobody is doing anything about it. You've got to come to the point where you're, I'm dissatisfied with the state of things. And I'm going to attempt to do something about it. I preach here tonight because I was fortunate enough to be saved in a good Bible-believing church and taught and trained. But I was a businessman and I was working. I had people on my job that didn't see what I saw. They were brought up in a different culture and they had different needs and different situations. I could have stayed in my church forever. I could have preached as an evangelist and do a lot of things. But one day God caused me to be dissatisfied with the state of things enough to do something about it. Amen. Give up the business. Give it all up. I want people to have, it's not fair that people work for me, family members, people that I know look like me didn't have what I had and I could do something about it and it led to a call upon my life that I didn't quite understand it meant doing without some things but I found over the years I never gave up anything and God didn't give me something better until you come become dissatisfied about the state of things, and it doesn't just have to be going to the mission field, you ought to be dissatisfied and look at your life. I'm dissatisfied with what, what I'm giving. I'm dissatisfied about what I'm doing. I'm dissatisfied enough to do something about it. Would to God some dissatisfied folks could come through a mission conference enough to say, I'm going to attempt to change that. I'm going to do something about that. I mean, I'm saved by the grace of God. I don't like what's going on. I don't like being in a church where pews are empty. I'm going to do something about it. I'll go across the street and win somebody and put them in those pews. May God help us to understand a great missions team has no drafted personnel. The personnel is not delayed by problems. And then thirdly, they were devoted to the program. Forty long years, David was their captain. They had respect for what he led them to do, and they remained loyal for 40-some years. 
We can't get the average Christian today in the local church to stay faithful to faith promise for a year. Forty long years. And they weren't always faithful when he was in the palace. There were times they were down in the wilderness, down in the cave, but they never lost sight of the fact that's God's plan, that's God's purpose, that's God's man, and I'm staying on the team. And they remain loyal. Missions is not a start and stop program. It's folks, every year, I believe without a doubt, as I practice for over 40-some years, twice a year, I increase my giving to world evangelism twice a year, and I don't get raises twice a year. Never come 50%. I don't make 50% of what I made when I went into the ministry, but I give more than I've ever given in my life. And guess what? I have more. You figure that out. Make less, give more, and have more. I think that's a God thing. You take care of God's business, and God will take care of your business. The greatest thing that Valley Forge Baptist Temple, Crossroads Baptist Church, any church, any place in the world can be known as is a great missions team. There are men, women, boys, and girls who are on the team that weren't drafted. They volunteered. They looked at distress. They looked at debt. But they were so discontented about the state of the affairs, they got on the team. And guess what? Once they got on the team, it lasted year after year because the more you walk with God, the more you do what he has commissioned us to do, the greater we see who he is and what he'll do in our lives, and we keep on doing it till he takes us home, until Jesus comes back. Let's determine this year that I'm going to look at my situation and I'm not waiting to be drafted. I'm a volunteer. I've got some distress. I've got some debt. But I'm discontented that people are dying and going to hell. And you don't have missionaries on the field where they need to be. I'm dissatisfied enough about that to do something about it. I may not be able to do it all, but I'm going to do everything that I can. And you know what? Once I get on the team, let the storms come. I'm staying with it because that's God's plan. That's God's program. Let's be the greatest missions team that a church can be. When people walk in this door, you don't have to say anything, they can sense it. Those people care about what God cares about, Amen. the souls of mankind. Our Father, we thank you. For the wonderful privilege that we have to see God work in the lives of people. We thank the Valley Forge Baptist Temple, the missions team it is. And I pray tonight that you look out among all the members of this church. There may be some people here tonight who are not even on the missions team. They don't give the faith promise. They don't go soul winning. They don't do anything to help advance the cause of world evangelization. I pray you speak to the hearts tonight 
Help them to get on the team. I pray for those that are on the team that you would bring about a dissatisfaction in the heart like never before. And they'll determine, I'm going to attempt to do more than I've ever done for God because I recognize this is God's program. This is God's plan. And I want the team to be strong. Maybe there's some people who got on the team one time and stopped. What would be a great time to say, you know what? I've learned this is not a start, start and stop program. This is a continual thing I'm to do till Jesus comes back. Make it the strongest missions team that it could be. Man looks on the outward appearance, but God looks on the heart. Well, thank you for it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's stand together. As the invitation plays, if God speaks to your heart in any area, this is the end of the preaching in the missions conference. Maybe tonight, if you're not on the team, you'll say, you know what, I'm getting on the team. I'm getting on the missions team of Valley Forge Baptist Temple. Maybe you say, I'm on the team, but you know my problem? I'm not dissatisfied enough to do more. I'm, I'm going to do that. I'm going to do more than I've ever done before. I want our church to be the greatest missions team that could ever be. It's not going to be by how big your buildings are. It's not going to be how large your congregation is. It's not going to be how big your choir is. It's going to be how much of a heart do you have for world evangelization. As the invitation is played and pastor comes, if God speaks to your heart, you come.